Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. All right, Peter Schweitzer, thank you for joining us tonight. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, what is the political takeaway from the bombshell reports? Fox News politics editor and editor of the Halftime Report, Chris Steyerwalt. Good evening. Shannon Bream. Okay, so both sides you hear claiming victory. I was right. I'm vindicated. The Democrats say it proves there's no deep state. This was actually hurtful to Hillary. Uh, conservatives saying uh, it's clear. Look at all the bias of these people. They were making decisions that benefited her. So where do we go from here? Because there are some threads with this report that actually bleed into the Russia stuff as well. Sure. This is why when partisans are talking, you can just sort of have like a little soundtrack, whatever music you like in the back of your mind. Just sort of turn the background music up a little bit while partisans are talking. Because obviously Democrats are going to say that this is uh, proof that the, uh, Hillary was ruined by the terrible uh, FBI. And of course, Republicans who are trying to help the president are going to say it's proof that the FBI is so corrupt that they can't even investigate the president now. So we can sort of push their rationales aside to a certain degree. I find it interesting that Robert Mueller, to a certain degree, and you read this, and you read about the spirit of the Comey FBI, and, and it's in McCabe, it's in Strzok and his uh, texting partner, uh, it's definitely in Comey himself, which is they know better than everybody else. They come to things with a strong sense of what is going to, if, put it this way, Comey's assumptions were all based on the fact that Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidential election, right? And right. I mean, that's, that's clear on the report that they all agree that's what they thought. That, that's what was going to happen. They knew it was so and they proceeded. They didn't act like law enforcement people. They acted like people who were caught in this political swirl and as we see playing games and sending emails. So the first and most important thing I take away from this is James Comey's ruined, right? This is the, this is the, the, the full ruination of James Comey. We see now why, uh, he wanted to get his book out. We see why he did the aggressive publicity tour this is just this is horrible for him and here's robert Mueller, uh not a spring chicken who had basically now in a sense had to come out of retirement to save this agent not to i don't want to make it sound too strong but to undo a lot of the damage that his successor did okay so i want to play a little bit of trey gowdy the yep. uh, chairman uh on special report earlier today talking about and he's been a longtime defender of course of the fbi he's a law and order guy he has stood by that yeah. former federal prosecutor here's what he said on special report most of my fellow citizens would say, yeah, I want to know what Russia was doing to us in 2016. But I also want the person that's finding out, that's investigating it, to be free of bias and free of taint. Of course, his worry now is, as many people's, uh, that the FBI, and there are, he said 99% of people, I'm not worried about, these are great, hardworking, right. patriotic, sacrificing their lives kind of people, but he's worried now that the agency's got a taint on it. Well, I, look, I think the, it's pretty clear that the Comey regime and McCabe is part of it, Strzok is part of it, these folks are, that's a kablooey. Uh, and this report is an important part for the FBI of reclaiming its reputation from the, the harm that Comey did to it. Uh, there's no question about that. I think, and Gowdy went on to talk about, basically say this, now is the time that they got to prove it. Right. Now is the time that they, ha that, yeah, they, ha they have a new director. Now they've got to prove it. And when Mueller comes out with his report, this is going to be the test. But I, I do say this, the DOJ acquitted itself well in doing such a thorough report, mm -hmm. such a, and, and such pretty un unflinching when you get down to it about the failings inside the agency. Yeah, and there's been praise on both sides of the aisle for the Inspector General yeah. and the work he's done. The system right. can work. Even James Comey praised him too. Okay.
And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 19th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And that's Chris Dyerwalt. I wanted to get that in because today is going to be very heavy on immigration. We're going to fire for effect a little bit on the FBI investigation. But to be quite honest, immigration is hugely crazy right now. And by the end of our segment, you will be well-versed on the fact that the media liberals, the resistance, is a bunch of sack of shit, lying, faux outrage, pieces of fuck. Pieces of fuck. Because this goes back to the 90s, this policy. Obama enforced it, and these people just didn't care. But, before we do that, I didn't cover Father's Day, but... You know the left did. So here's Ben Shapiro. He starts us off. Um, happy second legal guardian of unspecified gender day. And that pretty much sums up the reporting. NBC, this Father's Day, men are experiencing a crisis of masculinity. The solution? More feminism. Oh, really? Uh, Virginia Yankee, couldn't let us have one day, could you guys? Michelle Malkin, this is sick. Thinking today of the world... Would be dads mourning their unborn children, sacrificed at the altar of choice. Cause Nayroll, hey dads, happy Father's Day. Caring about women's reproductive freedom and body autonomy makes you better at raising future generation of feminists. So if you're a pro-choice dad and one of the many men for choice, we're celebrating you, but just you. Devin Cena sums it up. There are millions of fathers who are mourning the loss of their children today because of you sick fucking people. Planned Parenthood was the same way. In our hearts and minds day, all the fathers and parents who have been separated from the children at the borders keep families together. Father's Day Art Repeal Hide Art Project. Talking with your dad or other adults in your life about birth control might seem scary, but you can do it. Here are some tips. Oh, there you go. You guys don't want birth control. You don't make as much money off birth control. You want them to get pregnant. CNN celebrates Father's Day. He gave birth. He breastfed. Now he wants his son to see him as a man. There it is. Sums it the fuck up. And then there was another one of these before we get in. Uh, Salon. Trump's supporting friends should be dead to you. This is an article. Political staff writer Chauncey DeVega commands you to cut Trump supporters completely out of your life, saying that, if you have friends or relatives who support Donald Trump, you should confront them. Explain to them that they are complicit with Trump's cruelty and sadism. Communicate that you will no longer speak with them, nor will you offer them emotional, financial, or any type of support until they denounce Trump and what he represents and make amends through speech and action. A public confession, rending of the garment, self-legation, yeah. This article says, no wonder progressives are so miserable. They're incapable of compartmentalizing. Just ask noted hockey fan and parade enthusiast David Korn, why should Trump supporters be cut from your life? Because studies have shown the motivation behind voters are racism and nativism and authoritarianism. If you voted for Trump for the sole reason that he was a Republican, you are no better. The Republican Party is an extreme, revengeist political organization that works against the common good and subverts democracy. And that is no excuse for supporting petite fascist authoritarian and Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. A lot of that this week too. A lot of, a lot of 
Nazi references the whole nine yard. Um, Buck Sexton, pretty sure that proclaiming we will stop Trump from being president is evidence of bias when you're an official investigation, that person. But I'm glad the FBI will now be able to hash this out, anti-bias training. And that was the big thing up front that I had to get because it's going to get lost. That's their answer. We're just going to do bias training. Yeah. Bias training. That's that's how we're going to fix it. But there was no bias. Remember? No bias whatsoever. And we have to do one soundbite before we fire for effect. This is MSDNC. And before we get into talking about the FBI, this is just a precursor from what was on MSNBC and NBC for immigration. This is what the media is doing because the American people finally saw those photos of Obama's treatment of immigrants. Instead of owning it, they floated it as a Trump. When it failed, they went all in with the faux outrage. Rick, he's been clear, Mika, don't you think, about what his strategy is. The president has actually been quite clear in this instance. He is using children as political pawns mm-hmm. to try to get his wall. The White House said that. He is not going to get his wall. So the children are going to continue to suffer, are going to continue to be separated from their parents, are going to continue to be kept in metal cages. I'm sorry people had problems with the terminology cage. I think that uh, the wire that I've seen, walls the construction, and wire, it's a cage, what do, should we call it? Read Madeleine Albright's book. It's called, uh, aptly, Fascism, A Warning. And we are clearly way past the warning phase. And that's not hyperbole. That's not rhetoric. The Stooges on Fox News, and there's some really good people there, but there are a few who are absolute megaphones for this president. And they will take any little overreach, any little shrill comment, and use that as a way to promulgate the president's extremely cruel lies and policies. But, but this, this is the problem I have with that. I, I don't like this policy. I think it's cruel. I think it's terrible. My frustration, and I'm not, so I'm not defending the administration. Let it be clear. It's an, uh, uh, a guidance from the, the attorney general, which I disagree with. And I, the president's wrong when he defends it. I think it. we're trying to create a crisis. They're creating a crisis They're trying right to now. create yet well, another no. deterrent. Right. But, but what is frustrating to me, who've, as you know, I serve as chief of citizenship in the Bush administration. I understand the situation in the border. To try to give the impression that all of a sudden the Trump administration is it's, it's, it's much more inhumane compared to the Obama administration. Yes, this policy is worse than the policies that were in place with the Obama administration. But there were some policies, and he made reference to it, during the Obama administration that were pretty awful, that separated families. That's why we need migration reform. And by the way, you do, he, he, look, Alfonso, you do bring a good point. But remember, Obama fundraised back in 2012. Obama was getting protests from immigration no, no. advocates. They called him, they called him as, a, as a reporter. They Deporter called him the reporter in chief. They did. But the thing is that the the, the thing that the, the thing that's different about President Trump is that he built a campaign attacking immigrants, making them. It, it was a campaign that was founded in some ways, people think, in a racist way. And then you add to that the fact that it's zero policy. This is not some families; it's all families. I'm not saying that Obama <laughs> was better. I'm just I saying, agree. as a reporter, that that this is that this is an administration that has changed a policy and made it worse. I, I agree with that, but sometimes I feel that. 
there is selective outrage. Uh, outrage. I, I, I'm shocked that that happens in Washington. Exactly. I, I, you know, I know. But, but it's true. I mean, it, and there it, are a lot of people that agree with you. A lot of the advocates that I've interviewed absolutely agree with you and think that Obama did not get enough pushback for what he did when he was deporting a lot of families. When I was calling around trying to get in touch with families that had been separated, so many people said, "Well, I can give you families that were separated all the way back under Obama. So what kind of families do you want?" So there are definitely a lot of people who are saying that. Well, I think that's true. But again, it's a matter of degree and it's a matter of attitude. You know, let's compare this to the Bush administration. There is no way that Tom Ridge, uh, the first Homeland Security Secretary, would have in any way participated in a policy this draconian where the policy is the way we are going to deter people is we're going to tell them if they do something we don't like, we're taking your kids away. Um, they they have announced that. I, I agree, but we were also tough. Remember, we ended uh, the, during the Bush years uh, catch and release. So yeah. so we were tough. We sent uh, uh, National uh, Guard uh, troops to to the border as well. that Republicans and certainly Trump sympathizers are swinging is, look at those texts of at least these five different agents slash attorneys, you know, staff members. Look how much they didn't like Trump. Let me ask you something. Do you think that there was an equal or greater population in the bureau that didn't like Clinton? I, I absolutely think that's uh, true. And I think that one of the things I heard from people who attended the House briefing today uh, is that the matter of who was leaking out of the FBI field office you know, Rudy Giuliani kept going on television saying, I've heard from my sources in the FBI, da-da-da-da. Uh, uh, that investigation is still ongoing with the, with the uh, inspector general. So we'll see uh, where that lands at, you know, at the end of the day. Mm. But, you know, uh, in, 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 the truth is, the facts are that uh, he only hurt one candidate. By, re by reopening and then rapidly saying there was nothing there and closing right. uh, the email investigation on October 28th, 10 days before the election, he absolutely damaged Hillary Clinton. He kept under wraps uh, the fact that he had opened an investigation the, uh, of uh, the Russian engagement and the Russian involvement with the Trump campaign. Uh, that didn't come out until after the uh, election. He says he did that because that was consistent with policy and practice. But why the double standard, Chris? I think he's never really sufficiently answered that. Look, no, I get that that's something that's going to be chewed over here. He's got his answers. But you also have to look now in terms of you know, the political liability here and where blame lies. you got to look at Hillary Clinton uh, as well. Do you not, John? I mean, the tweet that she put out today, but my emails. Now, this is a reference to the fact that the IG found that Comey was also using a personal Gmail account. He didn't have his own server. But, you know, this tactic by Hillary Clinton of taking a shot at them, do you think that that was the right move for her, given well, look, that decisions she made and didn't make got her in this situation in the first place? Look, she shouldn't have used a, you know, a private email system 
Uh, I think she said that she obviously paid an enormous price for doing so. Uh, I think it was an innocent. Destroy the devices I think it was an, and you know not exactly complying the way that she would no, have been expected to in that situation. You, you want to relitigate the two, no, uh, but I'm just, I just want to put it out there as an element of people's scrutiny. Well, look, I think the the <laughs> it was well scrutinized. Uh, you have to agree with that. Uh, it was it was the subject of intense uh, uh, look by the by you know the mainstream media by uh, uh, a more than no a year long investigation by the FBI and she you know and I think it was a mistake to have done that uh, but I think it was uh, it was in the end of the day uh, there were no crimes uh, uh, Mr Horowitz confirmed that today saying it was consistent with the practice of the Department of Justice it wasn't just Mr Comey but Mr Horowitz uh, confirmed that in the IG's report today he likened it to the way the Justice Department uh, handled Al Alberto Gonzalez's uh, situation in 2008. Right. I read that. And, and, you know, I think that the scrutiny she came under, the attacks she came under by uh, the House Republicans, I think, uh, were unwarranted based on uh, what was a mistake of judgment. I think he was put into a bad position, and he took what he thought was the least worst approach. Where I push back on him is he created a culture around him of young callow, inexperienced agents that were making decisions on two giant cases that had huge consequence yeah. for the Bureau and this country, and for that I fault him. I, I say he's the second worst, not because he's got poor character, not because he's a bad man, and I'm mm. sure Josh can weigh in and give us some stories about James Comey doing good things. I served yeah. under him for two years. My issues with him are the fact that he let yeah. the inmates run the asylum, that he was a feckless leader and didn't push back on the President and the Attorney General when they attempted to infect mm. politics into investigations. Josh. I just believe he was the least equipped life to be there when the rising waters began and the FBI did come under assault. Where the blame should be pointed here, not at Comey for violating norms, Justice Department norms, because he elected to speak out. I felt that that was the right move to make. But he surrounded himself with callow and inexperienced people. And let's go with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, to your mm -hmm. point. People that People that say that folks like me that have criticized the investigation are tinfoil hat crowd because we talk about secret societies and insurance policies. The emails and texts that were released yesterday were damn. At that infamous press conference, Comey also criticized Clinton. They were extremely careless. Those comments, the report said, violated longstanding department practice of not criticizing suspects who are not charged. The inspector general also found that Comey had used a personal email account to conduct unclassified FBI business. This irony was not lost on Hillary Clinton, who sarcastically tweeted, but my emails. So this, this report, the president's often repeated claim that the fix was in from the beginning, that the FBI was out to get him and help elect Hillary Clinton president. What does this report do to that claim? Well, I think to that claim, I don't think the report backs that up at all. If anything, um, it's Hillary Clinton that should feel the most bitter about it this morning. It's this report seems to back up her claim that uh, what James Comey did uh, towards the end of the election was unprecedented. Uh, and, of course, she believes, and, and, and she's always believed it was unfair. Um, now you have an IG report saying that he was insubordinate and how he handled it and how he... I want to ask you about the Clinton email investigation. Uh, starting in October, you say in your book that Deputy Director Andrew McCabe told you something about Anthony Weiner and his laptop and something involving the Clinton in early October. And then there's a sort of a gap. You sort of 
You don't explain why nothing... And then you, then you sort of fast forward to October 27th. What happened in the intervening time there? Why, wasn't, why didn't your antenna go off sooner going, whoa, Anthony Weiner, what? We better get on top of this. Yeah, I remember somebody, and I think it was the deputy director, Andrew McCabe, saying something to me early in October, I think. Mm -hmm. And I didn't index on it because how on earth could there be a connection between Anthony Weiner and Hillary Clinton's emails? And so I don't remember even noting it in my head as a follow-up. And the next thing I remember is the team coming back to me. Actually, Andy emailed me at 5.30 in the morning on October 27th saying the team needs to meet with you and met with them that morning and got the full briefing. I don't know exactly what happened in between. I assumed, I don't, it wasn't conscious, but I, I think I must have assumed the team was following. The report's perhaps harshest criticism is directed at two senior FBI officials who exchanged blatantly anti-Trump text messages during the 2016 campaign including two new ones we saw today for the first time. FBI attorney Lisa Page writing to FBI agent Peter Strzok in August of 2016. He's, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? Strzok responds, no, no, he's not. We'll stop it. The report saying that message implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospects, while conceding there's no evidence that actually happened. Trump supporters are focusing in as well on those text messages sent by the FBI official that Paula mentioned because he briefly worked for and then was removed from special counsel Robert Mueller's team that's investigating Russian contact with the Trump campaign. That FBI official is being subpoenaed to testify later this month. So what is the impact now on the Mueller investigation, Margaret? Well, there's no direct impact on the actual investigation, but there may be when it comes to public perception of it, and that could matter. The report found no good reason for why, after more Clinton emails were found on the laptop of Anthony Weiner in late September 2016, it took the FBI a month to start examining them. There's no evidence the FBI was biased in its slow response, the report says. But it reveals that in August, FBI lawyer Lisa Page texted about Trump, he's not ever going to become president, right? Right? And Peter Strzok, a senior agent on the investigation, responded, no, no, he's not, we'll stop it. Strzok chose to put more priority at the time on investigating Russia's election meddling. The report says we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision was free from... I am sure now that you've had 20 hours to digest it, you've read the report. Are you concerned that, the special, that, uh, that James Comey, the FBI director, treated Hillary Clinton unfairly during the email investigation? Those decisions to give that news conference, the decision to release that letter to Congress in the days before the election... Do you feel that was unfair to Hillary Clinton? I think it was unfair to the American people that James Comey repeatedly violated FBI procedures and that, and that the protocols and processes that we rely upon for the most extraordinary of circumstances, like the investigation of a presidential candidate, weren't followed. And uh, look, I mean, I think that that was bad for all of us. Hillary, uh, Trump, the entire campaign in the country. Did that hurt the Clinton campaign in the days before the election? You know, so many things happen in a presidential election, it's very difficult to engage in the histrionics, but if Peter Strzok had not prioritized the Russia investigation over the Clinton investigation, the timetable seems to indicate that the revelations regarding Anthony's, Anthony Weiner's email would have come out in September rather than on October, and perhaps that could have worked its way through the political digestive system uh, before the hours before the election. So you think that the fact that this was held back. The the Wiener laptop news was held back. Actually, may have hurt Hillary Clinton when all. 
Well, I, think what I, I think what I said is that there's so many alternate causalities in a presidential election, it's difficult to nail that down, but certainly struck prioritizing Russia over the Clinton email investigation and the gathering of that evidence was not a good thing for Hillary Clinton, it wasn't good for Donald Trump, and it wasn't good for the country. And remember, he said, we'll stop Trump only nine days after he'd opened up on Papadopoulos, and only six days before he was talking with his girlfriend about an insurance policy against the Trump presidency. That is like as good of evidence of bias as you could ever have in a case. He says, he says, to be fair, to be completely fair, he says, we did not have confidence that Strzok's decision to prioritize the Russia investigation was free from bias. He doesn't say they conclusively found there was bias. He says we did not have confidence that there was no bias. I'm just That's as laying bad it as it there. gets in an IG I'm report. Just, I'm, just laying, I'm just laying out there what was said. And the reason that when I keep so, talking... Yeah, when they, so, when I, someone I says they know. don't have confidence that there wasn't bias, that necessarily means that bias was present. I, I'm just reading you the language that the IG used so the American people can hear what it is and make that judgment for themselves. They also said, by the way, when it comes to the Hillary Clinton email investigation, we found no evidence that the conclusions by the prosecutors were affected by bias. Those are the two different ways that bias is used as a word in this. But I keep asking about the Hillary Clinton email probe in this case because it does seem to me you were open to the possibility that the net impact of all these decisions were made. It's possible you're leaving open the possibility that it did have a negative impact on the Clinton campaign. Yes. I just don't know. I just don't know. You're I mean, not ruling it out. You're ruling, okay. Yeah, we agree that you're not, you, we agree that you're not ruling it out from this inspector general there were report. For Hillary, they in were terms, Trump. in terms of the things that they did, mm -hmm. what they could have done was leak the fact that President Trump, the candidate was under his campaign was being investigated. They were looking into the possibility of Russian collusion. They did not do that. In terms of what they did, that was something that didn't happen, correct? I don't think that we give the FBI a gold star for not leaking. That's their job. You know, you don't get extra credit for doing your job. Here you, you saw persistent examples of the very people who should have been holding Hillary Clinton accountable, demonstrating their bias in favor of Hillary Clinton. It's a different question whether or not where, ultimately where, they where, held, where, Hold on, hold on. I, I let you finish your okay. question. Let me finish my answer. So, so, you know, whether or not they were effective in helping Hillary Clinton is a different question as to whether or not they wanted to help Hillary Clinton. I think that likely Peter Strzok believed that delaying on the Wiener laptops was helping Hillary at the end, it may have ended up hurting her. We don't know. But that's why the processes are so important. That's why we should follow them in any circumstance so that we don't have to come back and Monday morning quarterback those decisions. Nipple By the way, if you no don't think question. there's evidence of that, you need to reread Chapter 12 because Chapter 12 is pretty clear on the manifestation of that bias as it relates to opening up on uh, Trump and Russia. Again, Trump and Russia, there's, there's separate IG investigation to that. This investigation deals with the Hillary Clinton email probe. Well, it mentions Russia, too. It, it I mean, does. It, it, does 12, up, it does it, come it up. It, really it does come up. It does come up. It does come up. But it doesn't reach any conclusions about no, the it, Russian it, investigation. It concludes that you can't exclude bias as a factor in prioritizing the Russian investigation. That's one hell of a conclusion. The it fact says, that the it very says, reason you cannot rule out bias in the fact, in the fact, yeah, in the that fact that, in the fact, but at the same time, it opens up the possibility that that actually helped. It looks terrible. It's something that they need to continue to investigate to determine whether there was influence. The bottom line for me in reading this report is the inspector general says there wasn't political influence that impacted the investigation. But again, it's it does not a good look for the FBI. Well, I'm not sure that that's right, Josh. And let me tell you why. Because um, uh, the inspector general is very specific about he doesn't think that there's any evidence that political bias played, played a role in everything in Chapter 5. And Chapter 5 is, has to do with the Hillary Clinton investigation up until the decision to announce in July 2016 that it's over. But he does say that he suspects Strzok did have a bias, or at least bias may have played a role, when it came to the decision to sit on the Wiener laptop. 
Comey told the Office of Inspector General, had he known about the laptop in the beginning of October and thought the email review could have been completed before the election, it may have affected his decision to notify Congress. So here's what happened. Peter Strzok, according to the Inspector General, sat on the laptop. They find no persuasive evidence as to why they didn't uh, immediately go into the Wiener laptop when they got it at the end of September. I want to get you to play on this, Jeff. Um, the only reason they look into it is because people in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the uh, Southern District of New York start asking about it. That's what the Inspector General says. Then they do the warrant. Then Comey notifies Congress. Then history perhaps has changed. So struck, if you read between the lines of this report... Okay, so let's just break it down. Today we're going to keep this brief. I'm not going to get too in the weeds because we did a long podcast on it. But I want to make sure we understand. The bias of the media, Obama fucking lied, and the media's covering for it because he's one of only 13 that knew she had the server. The FBI covered up, and once again, they called her President Hillary in her interview. So John Harwood, off the bat, shows us the media's just spinning. Justice IG report found no evidence that Zork disdain for Trump or any other improper consideration affected conduct or Clinton email investigation. Laura Jarrett, here's a problem. It's messy. While the IG found no evidence of bias affected the specific investigation actions reviewed pre-July 2016, he does not have confidence the delay in reviewing the Wiener laptop was free of bias. You can't say that statement. Because in the end, it did. He was burying the laptop because he wanted to move on to Russia. Jake Tapper, which has been pretty straight up, Laura's 100% correct. Anyone reporting that the IG report clears the FBI of any accusation of political bias or ignoring the post-July 2016 Wiener laptop. Hale Razor, Zork text, he'll stop Trump. Senate Intel Committee, aid leaks to New York Times. Zork text page, insurance policy. McCabe lies to FBI four times. Comey shops dossier. Hook to CNN. Comey and McCabe leak classified documents to MSM. Looks like we finally made a case for collusion. And they're right. David Lennerhart from the New York Times. The main message of the IG report is that Trump is lying about the Justice Department and FBI. So let's break this down. David Lennerhart, New York Times, calling by the President. Reaction to the Inspector General report on FBI and Department of Justice pre-2016 general election action is treating as a blanket exoneration. Therefore, everything President Donald Trump has said about it is a lie. The Times began with a condescending, trust me on this, you plebes message. Did the Justice Department and the FBI use their power, as Trump has repeatedly claimed, to help Clinton's campaign hurt this? And the report's answer is clearly no. Federal investigators and prosecutors did not give preferential treatment to Clinton. They pursued the case on its merits. Nobody in the right mind could say that's a true statement. But it's the New York Times. Andrew McCarthy's reaction to the IG report on the National Review was quite different. The trick here is a premise the IG established from the start. It's not my job to draw firm conclusions about why things happened in the way they did. In fact, it's not even my job to determine whether investigating decisions were right or wrong. The cop-out is that we are dealing with the discretionary calls. Therefore, the IG rationalizes the investigation must be given very broad latitude. Consequently, the IG says his job is not to determine whether any particular decision was correct, just whether on some otherworldly scale of reasonableness the decision was defensible, and he makes that determination by looking at every decision in isolation. 
The obvious answer to McCarthy's question is no, ultimately leading to obvious conclusion. IG Horowitz has weaved a no-common-sense report. In essence, the IG answers who really knows, except he says it's in a way that enables the FBI to pretend he has found no evidence of bias at all. Observe this gem from the report executive summary. We do not find documentary or testimonial evidence that improper consideration, including political bias, directly affected the specific investigation decision. Directly affected? What does that mean? Of course it did. Leonard, however, went further he column left out the following words, his column left out the following words, which are clearly implied in which because he claims that the clear answer concerning the FBI use of power to help Clinton is no, many readers who don't review the IG report or consult other sources will mentally include the federal investigators and prosecutors did not ever give preferential treatment to Clinton. They always pursued the case on the merits. They were always guided by the prosecutor's assessment of the facts, the law, and the past department. It's not true. He never did that. Thus, a few of the columns commenters, disappointingly few, but still a few, which at the time is progress, don't appreciate being treated as the complete fuels. Answers or uh, comments. The FBI went rogue during the last election, believing the reins of power it's to convey and all you get from the objective report of its activities is that Trump is lying. You continue to write with such a heavy, slanted, and exaggerated bias that it becomes silly. Mr. Lenart can provide substance to the anti-Trump resistance. All he wants, but ignoring Mrs. Clinton's own well-documented aversion to honesty, destroys his credibility. Here's the best one. Blaming President Trump here is merely a diversion to distract from the larger truth. The Obama, DOJ, and FBI failed the public miserably in their conduct. J. Edgar Hoover would be proud. The rest of us should be disgusted. But that's the spin part. They're going to keep spinning. They're just going to spin. When on Fox, right out of the report. President Barack Obama was one of the 13 individuals with whom Clinton had direct contact using her Clinton email.com account. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. The whole thing was the cover for Obama, because he lied. He lied to the American people. He went out and said he knew nothing about it in multiple interviews. We just heard one, until the New York Times broke the story. And that's a lie. It, it's impossible to open an email and not know what the email address is. It's impossible. It says it right there. Next article, thanks for a Friday night news dump last September. We knew that Secretary Hillary Clinton was emailing back and forth with President Obama using her private email address routed through her homebrew server. Don't worry about national security, though. Obama used a pseudonym that not even Yuma Abedin knew, so it was all very secure. That fact came up Thursday, released the OIG report, but with a new twist. According to the report, Clinton used her private email extensively while outside the United States, including from the territory sophisticated adversaries. But the fact that she was corresponding with the president was scrubbed from James Comey's exoneration. Instead, references to Obama were changed to another senior government official, and then even that bit was dropped from the final draft. Cover. David French. Hillary was unbelievably reckless. 
Scrubbing the reference to Obama was enormously consequential change. It would have been a shame to have dragged Barack Obama's name into all of this. Sean Davis. Obama knew about Hillary's secret email scheme because she emailed him using her private address while in the territory of a foreign adversary. That finding was removed from Comey's exonerating Clinton statement. The IG found that Obama's one of 13. James Hassan says what I just said. Obama repeatedly said he first learned about his existence from the news. No filter network. Been pretty obvious why the FBI beat around the bush with Hillary. Obama, Obama White House was implicated. Which brings us to a federalist story. Press ignores Obama's lie about email to Hillary private server. Thursday's Inspector General report reviewing FBI and Department of Justice actions before the 2016 election effectively conclude that Obama lied to the American people and committed illegal acts in emailing then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton private server email addresses. The IG also found that former FBI Director James Kobe scrubbed all hints of Obama prior knowledge from his July 2016 statement explaining why Mrs. Clinton would not be indicted for illegal acts. Despite these indisputable facts, reports of the nation's three gatekeepers establishment press outlets have not mentioned Obama's name in connection with any of this. Joy Pullman at the Federalist explained these matters Thursday afternoon. And you can just see it. Today's release, the Department of Justice Inspector, FBI's prosecutor, blah, 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 blah. Nothing. 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 CBS didn't do it. NBC didn't do it. Despite this damning now published evidence, reviews or searches of the Associated Press, Washington Post, New York Times found the following. AP, searches on Obama, first last name, not in quotes, and then only on Obama's last name returned nothing. WAPO, nothing. New York Times, nothing. They never, ever said it. They ignored it. The idea that actions such as these committed by a Republican or conservative president would be so completely ignored by the press is obviously absurd. This would be the first thing running on all these networks, all these papers, if you put Bush there, if you put Reagan there, or you put Trump there. And for all you liberals out there who want to ignore this and say this is a nothing burger, Here's your God. This was on the news. This is his words. Mr. President, when did you first learn that Hillary Clinton used an email system outside the U.S. government for uh, official business while she was Secretary of State? Uh, At the same time, uh, everybody else learned it through news reports. Were you disappointed? Uh, Let me just say that Hillary Clinton is and has been an outstanding public servant. She was a great Secretary of State for me. Uh, The policy of my administration is to encourage transparency, uh, and that's why my emails, the BlackBerry that I carry around, uh, all those records are uh, available and and archived. And I'm glad that uh, Hillary is uh, instructed that uh, those emails uh, that had to do with official business need to be disclosed. I don't care how you try to justify it. He lied. It was a concerted effort by him, the FBI, to protect the administration of Barack Obama. 
That would never happen for a conservative. I don't care what you say. I don't care how you try to spin it. I don't care how bad Trump is. I don't care how bad you hate Trump. That is wrong. The President of the United States broke the law. The President of the United States was protected because he had a D behind his name. Kimberly Strassel, don't believe anyone who claims Horowitz didn't find bias. He very carefully says that he found no documentary evidence that produced specific investigative decisions. That's different. It means that he didn't catch anyone doing anything so dumb as writing down that they took a specific step to aid Hillary. You know, like, let's give out this Combetta immunity deal so nothing comes out that will derail Hillary for president. But he, in fact, finds bias everywhere. The examples are shocking and concerning, and he devotes entire sections to them. And he very specifically says in a summary that it cast a cloud on the entire investigation credibility. That's pretty damning. Meanwhile, the same cast of characters who the IG has now found have made hash of the Clinton investigation and demonstrated such bias seamlessly moved to the Trump investigation, and we're supposed to think they got that one right. Also, don't believe anyone who says it's just about Comey and the instance of insubordination, though they are bad enough. This is an indictment broadly of the FBI culture that believes itself above the rules and imposes on others. People failing to adhere to their recusals, Katie's and McCabe, Lynch hanging with Bill, staff helping Comey, concealed details oppressor from DOJ boss, use of personal emails and laptops, accepted gifts from the media, agent affairs relationship, but also contains stunning examples of incompetence. Comey explains that he wasn't aware the Wiener laptop was a big deal because he didn't know Wiener was married to Aberdeen. Then they sit in... Sit on it for a month, either because it fell through the cracks. Wow, or we're more obsessed with Trump. And I can hear the echo of the howls from when Trump fired Comey. Still waiting to hear the apologies now that this report has backstopped the Rosenstein memo and the obvious grounds for dismissal. She ends it, will someone please ask the following questions to one of the players? Will the Clinton case file be forwarded to the DOJ for re-examination and possible prosecution? Rantelos, if this entire passage doesn't scream politically biased, then we need to close up the Federal Bureau of Investigation because they have zero investigation of skills. In exchange on August 6th, page 4, Zork, a news article in Trump's criticism of the cons. We read it last podcast. He's a menace. But what does the media do? Chris Hayes. One thing you could say is that the sheer volume of intensity of coverage of Clinton's use of a private email was absolute malpractice by the media, given how common the practice is. That's their spin. John Favreau. It seems like Zork and Page are basically all of us on Twitter at the time. Somebody tries to point out to him, that's precisely why this is messed up. They're not supposed to be you, John. Joe Scarborough, Vladimir Putin did nothing to elect Donald Trump. James Comey did. Today's IG report proves Comey's team sat on the Wiener letter until such time it caused maximum damage. No one did more to destroy Hillary Clinton's campaign than James Comey. Frank Lutz asked the question that I... Just think it's hilarious. Will Democrats' attitude towards Cormy revert back to November 9, 2016? Because <laughs> he's been a stalwart now. Problem is, when he tweeted that, 
Morning Joe outraged followers with IG report. They fucking nuked it. Uh, Joe, I follow you and listen to your program. What you say here is true. Even Comey admits it and judges himself for it. However, this tweet is written in malice. Therefore, I will not retweet it. Another one. I'm disappointed. Welcome to the new Joe. Same as the old Joe. The Republican is coming back. Joe and Mika play dim as always. My sister said he can't hold a Republican accountable. He's got to up and bash a dim. He is what he is. Joe and Mika kissed his boots every single day. It's their fault he got elected. I mean, just these people just gnash teeth. But the next day, Scarborough slams Giuliani for using IG report to undermine Mueller. He must have put his penis in Mika. He's back in line. Yashar Ali. By the way, a lot of Democrats and some Republicans are counting on Mueller to deliver big. What are they going to do if the report doesn't deliver what they want? Mike Villatucci. The same thing they did on election night. Yeah, they're just going to freak. FBI agent who questioned Hillary for email probe called her the president four months before the election. I wanted to bring it back out. Because this is unbelievable. They were calling her the president. Agent one, I'm done interviewing the president. FBI employee, you interviewed the president? You know, HRC, future press. Trump can't win. Demo- demographics don't line up. This is just a whole conversation they had. America has changed. What the fuck does that sound like? That sounds like Democratic talking points. Uh, another one. Find anything who enjoys this job. An absolute fucking idiot. If you don't think so, ask them one more question. Who are you voting for? I guarantee you it will be Donald Trump. I forgot about Trump. That's so sad and pathetic if they want to vote for him. Someone who can't answer questions. Someone who can't be professional for even a second. Agent 1 and 5 exchange the following instant messages. Try and think of a word. Would I rather instead of spending... Stick your tongue on a fan, which we read last time, but these are the tweets prior. All the people in the room are idiots. Then another one. Jesus Christ, Trump, glad FBI is fixing horrible mistake on Clinton emails. For fuck's sake. The fuck's sake part was me. The rest was Trump. Not sure if Trump or the fifth floor is worse. I'm so sick of both. Trump 207, fifth floor FBI, average in American public. He's dogging it. We asked both Agent 1 and 5 about these messages. Agent 1 and Agent 5 both stated the reference to fifth floor reference to the location of the FBI WFO counterintelligence division. Agent 1 continues, again, you know, I think it's a general general theme in a lot of this is some personal comments or, you know, complaining about common topics of leadership and venting. Agent 5 also described this as a general complaining to Agent 1 and also as an example of her being very tired of working these type of cases. Agent 5 also noted that she was not involved. And the Wiener Laptop. Other article. Comey's FBI was protecting the legitimacy of a presumed Clinton presidency. Within this IG report, that's some of the answers they give. That's the answers they give. We were just trying to protect the president. But the key thing is, and what they don't understand... This is wearing on the American people. You watch the IRS, nothing. You watch Benghazi, nothing. You watch Obama get up there and tell everybody every day they're a fucking piece of shit. This is how you got Trump. Democrats can do whatever they say want to do, say what they can say. They're 
fucking people go around saying heinous shit, nobody ever gets retributions. Thus, Trump gets up there and starts talking shit back. Why the fuck do you think people voted for him? It was refreshing for a guy to stand up and go, fuck you, I don't care. I don't fucking care. I'm not saying I'm sorry. Because we're sick of it. The liberal way is exactly what that fucking FBI agent said. America's changed. No one hasn't changed. You browbeat us for eight fucking years, and then the ugly head reared. And then there's more documentary and, and evidence. Oh my, in a new poll, most Americans now say Mueller Pro is being handled unfairly. That was before this shit came up. It's before. And it goes hand in hand with Americans looking at the system now and going, what the fuck? I remember Abu Ghraib, 100 days above the fold. Everything negative on Obama, one day buried. And now a lot of Americans, normal Americans, who are on the internet, because you're not going to hear it in the media as we just prove they're burying it, they're now seeing once again a Democratic president can get away with lying. Bill Clinton lied, nothing happened. Obama lied, nothing happened. He lied so many goddamn times. And what does the media say? The most scandal-free president ever. That's their that's their punchline. So you get normal Americans like this guy, I never heard of, Yiga Star House. Here you go. I made an easy graphic of all the reporters that colluded with the DNC and Hillary for you to share. It's Everybody that's on TV at some time did something for Hillary Clinton. It's basically everybody. Everybody. We got stuff about to go into the damn immigration next, and there's going to be a lot of sound bites, sorry, because they are just spinning. This is like the DNC has taken over the media. Once again, just like an election season. Who's saying you can't blame Congress for this? Casey Hunt. We're going to read that tweet. And I want to really ask you, even if you're a liberal out there, should a journalist do that? Because she's not, she's not talking ahead. She's a fucking journalist. And once it doesn't matter. Every subject, the election, this FBI report, they don't even acknowledge it. Chuck Todd and company just fucking ignore it. And you know that's not the case. We, we have an article today of the 50 fucking worst fuck-ups by the media already in a year and a half of a presidency. They run with anything for Trump. And they usually are found to be wrong. That's their zeal to either get the man or to support the Democrats. Whichever way you want to look at it. So just like this witch hunt about Russia, I I say it all the time on Twitter now. What Trump is doing to the media isn't 
when you get up there and be sanctimonious about the First Amendment, nobody's buying it, Acosta and Todd. Because normal Americans are looking at it now going, Jesus Christ, our media is fucking horrible. They don't even care about the news. They only care about the Democratic National Committee and social justice bullshit. That, that's who they are. So, uh, immigration is horrible. You're going to read here Veshi from MSDNC. Read from the fucking Bible that he doesn't even believe in. And sorry for saying fucking Bible, but the Bible. Disrespecting Christians. MTP saying using kids as tools. And finally, Nancy Pelosi, Jesus fucking Christ. Their parents, my panel here is uh, with me. Uh, Senator Santorum, uh, I believe that you're supportive of the administration's policy on this. Do you agree with the invocation of scripture to defend it? Um, careful, Rick. It's I, Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very careful about this. I mean, what you know, there are many religious leaders who... Uh, object to to this policy and I, I certainly understand why the leaders uh, of your church the Catholic church yeah, are yeah, very upset about it it's gut-wrenching to to see uh, these images and and to understand what's going on at the same time you have to you know governmental officials have to look back and, and look at the consequences of of what the of what the law is and uh, the reality is as Jeff Sessions has said repeatedly the law is in place to make sure that uh, we treat people fairly under the law and we have a deterrent effect the, the reality is that everybody who's going to be uh, disagreeing with me on this panel is sounding very compassionate. Oh, we need to take all these people in. We need to take all these people in. I just, I just say that there is a consequence to that. I mean, if you, if you say we're going to take these people in, more people will come and more people will come and we'll have a bigger and bigger problem at the border. You'll be putting more children at risk of a 2,000 mile trek through Mexico, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, there's, there are real consequences to this. And this is what I would say to all of you. You want America to be open? Fine. I would argue, give your addresses out and tell the people who come to this country, you can come to my house. You can stay here. And you can come to my house and you can stay here as long as you want. I'll pay for your education. Rick, I'll pay for your Nobody is saying we want an open country. What we are simply saying is we don't want two-year-olds torn from the arms of their mothers and, what's the and crying and that? the consequence of that is that we're going to have more two thousand children more people who are come. going to have incredible damage emotional damage the consequence of that is human suffering their parents the consequence that of that situation. is americans that are outraged by seeing american values being violated put them in that situation Listen, it is the no utmost hypocrisy no, it is no the utmost cynicism to quote we, scripture uh, the same scripture that was quoted to justify slavery right. to justify that and shame on any christian that is doing that of values and laws there is and, no law and 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 look this say the law that's in place now is the same law that was in place with the obama administration with the bush administration etc and i've parents. listened to former attorney general gonzalez under the bush administration who said there is discretion and that clearly this government this president has utilized his discretion to separate families that's the values that he is uh, putting on the American people. I think the American people and you, Senator, should stand up and say, no, 
When we have and we see something that is so horribly wrong, we're going to stand up and we're going to make sure that does not occur. Parents, let me just one point. These parents broke the law. Okay, they did not break the law if they're seeking asylum. Asylum. They can seek asylum within the country that they have. They can go to the embassy and seek asylum. They don't have to go 2,000 miles and cross the border. Governor, let me ask you a question. Should Democrats be willing to give something? In order to have this power, because that's what President Trump wants. Yeah. He, he's using this as a as a as a negotiating tactic. Yeah, but the, but what they've put on the table right now doesn't address this problem at all. What, what Paul Ryan's so-called compromise does not address this issue at all. Democrats are willing to to compromise. We don't want total open borders, but what we do want is to be a nation that does have compassion. Rick, you have seven children. If you were living in Honduras, which is the country with the highest child homicide rate, the country with the highest female homicide rate. Gangs, you would not leave all seven of your children there. You would want to save them. You could drive nails through my hands. You could whip me on my back, but do not take my children away. That, to me, is totally not who we are. With all due respect, the only person who's actually talking about a solution to this is Marco Rubio who's out there talking about foreign policy that actually can address these issues. We, the, well, that's what I actually, we, we, we have not done any, we have completely ignored not, our southern border. Yes, we have. Because we if, you look, at, our if you look at what's taking place in the House, and that's why we came two votes short of a motion to discharge to put a bill on the floor next week that we collectively can do to make a difference and to change it. So we have been to so the people that's working on it now and this You're talking of, about immigration. And instead listen, of well, I'm talking immigration, about I'm talking about foreign policy with respect to this our not, involvement in Honduras and Guatemala. Or the other. Cuba. No, it, no it, listen, it, it, I am I'm from Nicaragua, okay? If, I was born in Nicaragua. If you want to solve the problem, let's solve the problem instead of trying to deal with the people have been killed like dogs in Nicaragua and people are desperate to get out there. That's happened in the last six weeks. And you're right, there is a foreign policy component to this. But there is also an immigration policy. It is not either or. That's a completely false equivalency. And I would say to my senator, Marco Rubio, he happens to be my senator, you should be on Dianne Feinstein's bill, where there are 43 Democrats. And that bill does what? That bill makes this this practice of separating children. Marco, like me, these are kids that look like us, that sound like us. Their parents are doing what our parents did. Flee oppressive regimes, flee economic distress to have their children to be able to give them a better life. And it is horrible to me that he is instead tweeting about Kanye West's new record and chicken sandwiches. And to President Trump, Kellyanne, welcome back to Meet the Press. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, I want to start with something that Senator Graham said on Friday on CNN. Take a listen. President Trump could stop this policy with a phone call. He doesn't seem to acknowledge that. Well, well, he can't. I'll go tell him. If you don't like families being separated, you can tell DHS stop doing it. Um, is the president ready to make that phone call to the attorney general, to DHS, to stop this policy? The president is ready to get meaningful immigration reform across the board. And Chuck, let me just tell you that nobody likes seeing babies ripped from their mother's arms, uh, from their mother's wombs, frankly. But we have to make sure that DHS's laws are understood through the soundbite culture that we live in. There are three circumstances by which DHS evaluates a child at the border. One is, does this child actually have a custodial or familiar relationship with the adult? Mm -hmm. And number two, is the child in any danger? And 
plenty have been over time. Some adults are using children to gain access to the border. And number three is the adult subject to criminal prosecution. This is a vexing problem that both Presidents Bush and President Obama faced as well. Um, Secretary of DHS under President Obama told the New York Times this weekend that this was the bane of his existence for three years. He was describing the fact that they had to detain families in these large facilities um, for a very long period of time. Why? Because in the summer of 2014, we saw this surge, particularly from Central America, uh, tens of thousands, if not more, uh, unaccompanied minors coming to the border and trying to gain entry. Chuck, I've got a teenage daughter, you have a teenage daughter. Can we say with a straight face today? that we know what happened to all those teenage girls. Very left-leaning journalists at the time from Politico, from HuffPo, Jorge Ramos did a segment about the fact that these girls faced almost certain rape, trying to make that journey northward. Many of them were getting, many of them were getting um, vaccinated, or I guess they were getting shots for birth control because it was almost certain. This is a perilous journey for many of these children, and if people really cared about them, we would figure out a way to get the funding to expand the centers and to close the loopholes these loopholes are allowing uh, open border policies. If the, I think what the president is saying is if the Democrats are serious, they'll come together again and try to close these loopholes and get real immigration reform. So it sounds like, and this is going to sound harsh, but it sounds like you're holding these kids hostage no. to get the Democrats to the table to pass some law. You just no. laid out a very well, compassionate case for why. That. I understand. You just laid out a very with a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy in there. But it's not very empathetic that the, the most traumatic thing to do to a kid, separate them from their parents once they've made that traumatic journey. Why do that right now? I understand we have an immigration debate going on in this country. Why use these kids as leverage? Well, I certainly don't want anybody to use these kids as leverage. I saw a headline that uh, breathlessly screamed as much, and I object to that very forcefully. Let me say this. These children that are in, in fairness, by the way, it was a White House official that told the Washington Post. Yeah, I'd like Post, to know who that is, by the way. The thinking in the building is to force by people the way, to the table. By the way, I want that person to say it to my face. I really do. I'll meet them at the White House today because I think that's a disgrace. Should that I want them person be fired? Should that person want, be fired? That, fire, that person should have the guts to come forward and put their name to that quote. How's that? Number two. And most importantly, these children are handed over to HHS. Why? Because that is Health and Human Services. So that they can be put into facilities like El Cajon, where there was a report recently where there are boys ages 6 to 17 who are all there. They have the necessary medications, obviously food and shelter. They have exercise. They have education during the day. I don't, and, nobody's doubting that they're, getting, get them back they're, they're getting reasonable care there. The question is, the most Summer. dramatic thing to do is... Is taking them away I agree. in and the, by the way, first that's place. Why you don't have to. And Chuck, that's why. You don't why, have to be doing this. But that happens in this country as well. In other words, if I commit a crime and I am put in jail, my four children are separated from their mother. Because we don't have a policy. Or why would you want the children in jail with their parents? You want them in a facility temporarily. Or you want them to be repatriated back to the home country with said parent. Or you want them to come into this country with a responsible adult who you know, who the authorities are confident, means that child no harm, won't get them in an MS-13 gang, won't subject them to trafficking or rape, or worse. You want them to go with a, a family member or another a close family friend who would be a custodian. And so this has been a vexing problem for many years. I would tell everybody this, this week when the President goes to Congress at 5.30 on Tuesday, mm -hmm. get together. 
Chuck, I don't remember a single Democrat. I could be mistaken. Maybe one murmured it. But in the one-hour meeting back in January in the cabinet room where the president invited senators and, and congressmen from the Republicans and the Democratic parties to the cabinet room, I, I believe that your, your cable station covered it live in full. One hour. Did this issue come up? The Democrats only want to talk about DACA, the Dreamers. Why aren't they mentioning this? But, but in fairness... Uh, kids weren't being separated from their parents then. This policy they got implemented in April. This policy got implemented in April. The zero tolerance policy, where every migrant, yes. every asylum seeker is treated as a criminal. And that, well, they are they are First. subject to criminal prosecution. They that is an it, April change. So why would they bring it up? It's adjudicated. Day? It's adjudicated. What they should have said is, look, we had a surge over the border in 2014, Mr. President, under President Obama, and it, it shocked everyone, and we simply didn't have the capacity. We want to avoid that in the future and work with you. Look, the Democrats ought to just own it. Why don't they say we're for open borders? But they have to be serious. Look, uh, over time, over if you extrapolate the money that is spent on each of these unaccompanied minors, right now at the border. You're talking about DHS statistics, $35,000 per child. I think that's great, but we have 18 million American children right now as we sit here in households that make less than $35,000. But as you know, this is this is a question of morality. This is a question of American you've heard morality. Me, you've heard me weigh in on that. I did. This is a question of American morality. As a morality. mother, as a Catholic, as somebody who's got a conscience and wouldn't say the junk that somebody said, uh, apparently, allegedly, I will tell you that nobody likes this policy. You saw the president on camera that he wants this to end, but everybody has, Congress he has to act. can end it Congress, on his own. Chuck, Congress passed a law that it is a crime. This is a congressional law from many years ago. Many it's years. a crime to enter this country illegally. So if they don't like that law, they should change it. If they don't like the, you the fact that... can keep the families together. Why can't you find a way to still potentially... Do you want the child in jail? You, you keep the families together. Why don't you create a family detention center? Well, we had those under President Obama, but the Democrats are holding up the funding to expand those. The president had a 70-point immigration plan. This was included in it, Chuck, that expanding really doubling the detention center capacity, hiring more ICE agents. We don't have the capacity. Those brave men and women at the border who are trying to do their jobs as best they can. This is an issue. And and if the Democrats are serious, and if a lot of Republicans are serious, they'll come together. This year. They won't just talk about this week, the Dreamers, or just the wall, or just catch and release. It's all of the above. And there are ways to repatriate these families back to their home countries expeditiously. But I want to make very clear, because thank you for saying nobody is arguing the kids aren't getting care. A lot a lot of folks are pretending these kids aren't getting care. You have colleagues in your network who are analogizing this to concentration camps and the Nazis. What a disrespect, what an outrageous disrespect to the six million people who perished at, at uh, that time. Uh, all right, I want to go back. I want to uh, move on quickly. I want to begin with Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in his place. All right, let's uh, go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. 
not finished yet. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 10. Woe unto them that decree unrighteousness decrees and that write grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. And I'm not done yet. Let's go to Matthew. Uh, chapter 25 again, this time verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's just a small sampling of what's in the Bible. This is the first time in this era that we've had a president that has rejected newcomers to our country. So to see this president use this as a political tool, that's what this is about. And he's using these young children. With me now, Democratic, uh, Democrat Barbara Boxer, former U.S. Senator from California. Um, what is watching this as someone who worked on immigration policy in your years in the U.S. Senate, worked on asylum policy, has dealt with, you know, shepherding legislation on this. What's your response to this? I can barely express it, and so I'm going to be very direct. I want to thank Mr. Davidson for, for becoming a whistleblower and letting us know what's happening. But, you know, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, a decline to state, whether you vote, you don't vote. There are certain things that we have to cherish. The first thing are children. And what is happening here is a sin against God. I believe that, and that's why we are seeing now, finally, you know, some fundamentalist groups come out who have been loyal Donald Trump supporters. They don't care, you know, about his private life. But this is brought about by the Trump administration. This is new. You do not, do not tear minor children away from their parents. What you should do is have a surge of immigration lawyers and judges come down there and listen to these asylum cases. And if they have a leg to stand on, grant them asylum. And if they don't, keep them together, send them back. But what they are doing now is inhumane, and it is a sin, in my view. So let's be clear here. You know, I, I've studied the basic tenets of the greatest religions in the world, just to get an idea. And where they all come together, regardless of what they are, is you treat others the way you want to be treated. That is just the tip of the iceberg. And I know we have a lot of sound bites today. I'm sorry. This is just too good not to play. Every fucking talking head on NBC, every anchor, every analyst was just like Katie Tor. Ali Veshi is reading straight from the Bible right now on MSDNC regarding immigration. Must watch. Greg Polowitz asked the question that thousands of people did. Powerful segment that will never be repeated on just spitballing here. Abortion. Mmm. So quoting the Bible is now an acceptable argument on marriage and abortion too? Because otherwise, you're just cherry-picking, which is what they've been saying about the FBI. Concentration camps was huge this week. It's all concentration camps. General Michael Hayden, other governments have separ separated mothers and children. I, I won't play this one. It is almost five minutes of just 
Concentration cap, 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 concentration cap. Because you gotta get the Nazi in. How many times? Cable news, 22 comparisons of immigration policy to the fucking Holocaust and slavery. That's just the last four or five days. Senator Blumenthal, this policy of family separation minus of the cattle cars of Nazi Germany. Tactical octopus. Just so we are clear, you are equating the employees of the Border Patrol with genocidal fascists. You actually think it's okay to imply the U.S. officials will murder millions of people, children, because of what exactly? NBC News, they didn't even beat around the bush. This is their Tom Brokaw now. The big guy on the border. He outrights, outright ass an agent. Do you feel like a bad guy? Evening from McAllen, Texas, in the shadow of the U.S.-Mexico border, and now the intersection where rigid government policy and human compassion collide with the children of migrants at the center. Tonight, we see, and for the first time here, what is happening to those many of those families picked up along this stretch of border, kept in chain-link cage-like structures inside this country's largest deportation immigration processing facility. Many of those families separated. Parents criminally charged, their children taken from them, all in the name of zero tolerance. Manuel so Padilla Jr. is the region's border patrol chief and oversees the facility. We met up with him on the border. You feel like the bad guy in this to some extent? I mean, you are the instrument of a policy that is obviously very controversial right now. I feel that the option of not doing anything is going to worsen this situation. Um, so I think uh, we have to work with what we have right now and hopefully get uh, the immigration uh, laws redone. Finally tonight, the immigration conundrum, a nation of laws and a nation that values order, but also one that takes pride in its compassion and its heart and its love of family. There's nothing political about wincing or shedding a tear at the sight of a child left alone, one caught up in a dizzying circumstances, not of their own making, and crying for their families. And yet it's naive to suggest politics is not to some extent at the core of our dilemma. What is happening here is testing our better angels on multiple fronts, challenging our competing values of protecting our sovereignty and honoring our hearts. As the local Border Patrol chief told me here today, it's complicated and many-layered, to which I thought to myself, isn't that the way it is with most matters of the heart? Yeah, that's just fucking horrible. It's not the worst. We're going to get to the worst of what ICE agents are being compared to. The worst is coming. Jennifer Rubin, if only we could keep the hard-working Latin American newcomers and deport the contemptible Republican cowards that would truly enhance America's greatness. Yes. That's a conservative, supposedly, on WAPO. That, that's what she said. Real Americans, get the fuck out. You guys don't. Then there was this fleeing. Uh, flying all over the place, June 17th. Sheriff says five killed when packed SUV fleeing Border Patrol agents crashes in South Texas. The left, talking heads, it's ISIS's fault. They're now killing immigrants. Then Chuck Schumer. Republicans are starting to buckle. They're pieces of fucking shit. They want to fix it. Cruz, Rubio, all of them 
oh, I can't take the pressure. I'm going to not just do what's right and stop this immigration shit that started with Obama. Kids just coming over because you did the dreamer shit. What does Schumer do? File reports the House modern immigration bill is hardly moderate at all. It would cut illegal immigration dramatically and punish dreamers. It's hard to believe the so-called House Democrats moderate could vote for such a party-line bill that is doomed to fail, and he won't even support it, but it would fix it. Stephen Miller. Schumer is signaling to oppose the immigration bill, which fixes family separation policy. This is where he's compared to a hostage shaker with children, right? Another person. For all the caterwauling about Nazi Germany, I haven't actually seen a single policy solution proposed by the left or Democrats that fixes this. Maybe that's their problem as a party. Maybe that's why it's just tuned out uh, as noise. Because we saw this movie in 2014. We saw kids separated from parents and held in cages in 2014. And that administration was not compared to literally Hitler and guys in charge was portrayed as heroically attempting to fix his own policies. Another person. Obama was doing it for the greater good or something. Stephen Miller. Did I miss this certain collective flip out in comparison to Nazi Germany? With all the stories about the 2014 photos that started all this. Chris Hayes. FWIW. Catch or release itself is dehumanizing phrase. That was another thing they're gnashing their teeth. And then they went after the DHS head. Illegal actions have and must have consequences. No more free passes. No more get-out-of-jail-free cards. No more lawlessness. We will not apologize for a job we do, for the job law enforcement does, for doing the job that American people expect us to do, she told the National Sheriff's Association Monday. Ironically, the job they do is enforce the law. Camelia Harris, it's time for Secretary Nielsen to resign. The government should be in the business of keeping families together, not tearing them apart. And the government should have the commitment to transparency and accountability under tenure. DHS does not have a track record of either. I'm calling on Christian Nielsen to resign. Then she said, and the media ignored, and you can only find this like on AP, Reuters, they have to report it. Homeland Security, Kristen Nielsen, well-coached illegal aliens using children to pose as families. That's what they're doing right now. And I guarantee if we had real journalism in America, you could track that back to a democratic think tank who came up with the idea, how do we get Trump in a worse light so we hopefully can change the, the wave that went away and get back to that blue wave. Tell them just to bring kids. Bring them. Use them as human shields. And then there's this shit. ICE. Learn more about Hero Child Rescue Corps. Program for wounded, injured, and ill special forces to receive training in high-tech computer forensics and law enforcement skills to assist federal agents in the fight against online child sexual exploration. In the photo is a guy in a wheelchair. And this is what the left said. Ron Perlman. I'm going to do it just like you do it, lefties. This is how the media plays. One person, all of you are labeled. I know I'm a leftist, D-list actor, so my Twitter feed is probably deceiving me. But is that an Iron Cross tattooed on his hero's arm? This is a mistake, right? Because the Iron Cross was a symbol of Nazi Germany. 
ICE, because of the left, Justin Garnier is a combat-wounded U.S. Marine who continues to serve his country as an ICE computer forensic analyst, analyst, excuse me, helping solve criminal cases and rescue abused children. The tattoo shown here is a symbol for his platoon while he fought in Afghanistan. As you read further on, he won the Navy Cross, and that's what it is. Lewis Mensch, for Christ's sake, called out the people and tried to make them stop. They attacked another picture of two guys, Marines, double amputees, in this program, called them fucking all sorts of horrible names. Because it's just faux. Oh, they're just caught up in the further. Everybody that works at ICE is a horrible human being. Kids! Half the people I'm reading, they don't even know what the policy is. They don't even know what's happening. But you will in a few minutes. Daily Wire, Joy Reid attacked Clinton administration for not wanting to deport immigrant children. She's going to say it was the time hackers... But she literally said this. She also said, just for a by note, political sex scandals. Why don't we blame the women too? That was from 2011, but you know, whatever. That'll get buried. <clears throat> then Preak J. Shakur, because Jake Tapper tweeted, the UNI Commission for Human Rights is deeply concerned about the border crisis and Praship J. Shakur says, same my commission refused to announce terror attacks from Gaza on Israel. We really don't care. Then we had more visits. Uh, Ed uh, Savadra just witnessed Border Patrol agents pick up a group of undocumented immigrants from Honduras. Two adults full children. One of the mother told me she wasn't aware the families were being separated because of zero tolerance policy. Lavandra then interviewed Jonathan, 11-year-old from Honduras. He, too, was separated from his family, first by his mother, who was in Virginia, and next by his cousins, who abandoned him on the border. Gaddy Schwartz for NBC went in. They couldn't find shit. The best that came up was the interview of a kid with his mother. And they try to get them to talk about the policy, but they don't even know what the fucking policy is. Define America. It's a horse, historic day. Define America's honor to announce that an American public school is being named after a heroic, undocumented immigrant, Jose Antonio Vargas. That's the left. Yeah. That's the left. So during all this, we have the cage that Vargas did. But he's getting a school named after him. And then we have this, every child is being separated. Julie Davis, DHS official, speaking anonymously, denied widely circulated story of four-month-old taken from detainee immigrant's mom while breastfeeding, saying administration draws a bright line against separating adults and babies. It's a lie. It didn't happen. But Casey Hunt, who's all fired up on this, what did she say? Infant ripped from mother's arm while she was breastfeeding the baby at the border detention center. Mother handcuffed for resisting. Not a true story. It was a lie. Floated by the left, just like the 2014 pictures we talked about. Just like the kids in cages pictures. And the other lie of the week is that if you come to a port of entry and you claim asylum, they're taking your kids. That's a fucking lie to too. 
separating illegal. And we're about, we're getting close to finding out where that policy came from. Then Casey Hunt did this. Molly Hemingway, this is not journalism, this is not journalism, this is cartoonish, partisan, and ill-informed advocacy. Katie Hunt, last night, Congress did not create this problem, Congress did not create this problem, Congress did not create this problem, the Trump administration created this problem, Trump, and she repeats it three fucking times. My reply to who? Her, Obama did it too, Obama did it too, Obama did it too, you didn't care then, you didn't care then, you didn't care then, you're not a... You're, you are a damn activist, not a journalist. You're a damn activist, not a journalist. You're not a damn activist, not a journalist. As an independent, non-Trumper, but a vet, if I acted with the lack of professional intellectual honesty that you, the NBC, DNC talking heads, I would have been court-martialed. You guys are disgraced to journalism for eight years. See, hear, say nothing. Now parrots for the DCCC. In that thread leads me to the stories that actually tell the truth, but you can't find it on CNN, can't find it on NBC, because this is no different than the 2014 pictures. This is because of the 2014 pictures. Those 2014 pictures got out there, the Dems got handed their ass. They got caught lying, and they got caught, once again, Obama did this. Well, guess where this policy comes from? Bill Clinton signed the law in 1997. Take your fake news and smoke it. This came from 1997, 1997 law. Bush did it for a while. Obama did it for a while. You never reported any of this. Trump's doing it. And you're saying something because what you're trying to do is midterm and cover for 2014. That's the whole thing. Put it in a nutshell. You're trying to make up for 2014. All those pictures backfired big time. It hurts you. Because normal Americans saw it. The media had to correct it. Sound bites got out. And now we're going all in lying. Just like the FBI. Just like everything. We're just lying. We're not telling the truth. They're trying to run multiple lying articles. Multiple. Even Jessica Valentini. It's funny. I haven't seen any outcry from pro-life organizations about the treatment of children at the border. Almost as if they don't give a shit about actual babies. There's hundreds that are pissed off. Because they don't know the truth either. They don't know really what's happening. Yeah. It's just a fucking farce. Because this soundbite got out on MSDNC. There was, according to the Washington Post reporting, uh, you know, a surging number of unaccompanied minors being apprehended at the border. In 2014, there were nearly 70,000, according to the Post reporting. And that same year, there was this viral image of children being kept in a cage at a detention center. Do you see any parallels here? How different is what we're seeing today from these images? In many ways, and I think I was, I don't know what image you're using, but I released some of those photos because it was kept very quiet under the Obama administration. There were large numbers of people coming in. 
the Obama administration was trying to keep this quiet, and, and I don't know which image you're using, but I let I released some photos uh, that I had gone about those young kids who were kept there, and we're still seeing a, a, a numbers. And, and keep in mind when they talk about putting some of the young kids in in those centers, not all of them are being separated. Some of them are coming alone, as as Ed said mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. Some of them are coming on their own. So it's not a matter that every single uh, child that we have in those centers are being separated because some of them are coming alone. Uh, keep in mind that under the law, you can separate uh, a child if that that person, the adult, is not a the real parent or or the custodian. Because sometimes we see situations where they'll bring a child because they know of the policy that we have over mm -hmm. here with children, or at least what we used to have. Or if uh, if there's a criminal offense, and but they're mm -hmm. using this no zero tolerance to to separate, mm -hmm. and that's uh, an area that I think mm -hmm. we need to look at. Obama kept it quiet. Isn't that nice? Buried this week also. Angela Merkel's German government facing collapse over immigration stance. Her people are biting the fuck back. Candace Owens starts the positives. Democrats are hilariously dishonest and fake. They've been literally subsidizing single motherhood in the black community for decades. But this week, they pretend to care about putting families of illegals back together. Frauds. Katie Pavlich. Children are separated every single day in America when parents commit crimes, face prosecution and attainment. Why is there an exception for illegal aliens who face consequences for their actions? Brandon Darby, cages. The chain link partition is holding facilities at the border, the exact same ones we showed you during the Obama administration. He then showed 19 fucking tweets, going all the way back to 2014. But how many of us remember the left reporting the travesty during the Obama presidency? Just crickets back then. Gabriel Mallard, details matter, and from what I can see, people are playing very fast and loose with the details. And he breaks down how asylum seekers aren't getting hurt by this. Christian Nielsen, the uh, secretary, this misreporting by members, press, <coughs> and advocacy groups was stopped. Is irresponsible and unproductive. As I have said many times before, if you are seeking asylum for your family, there is no reason to break the law and illegally cross between ports of entry. You're not breaking the law by seeking asylum at a port of entry. For those seeking asylum at port of entry, we have continued the policy from previous administrations when only separated the child is in danger. There is no custodial relationship between family members or if the adult has broken the law. We do not have any policy of separating families at the border, period. Period. Then there was the murals. It's a late entry. Should have had it at the front. A tour gives a glimpse inside Texas migrant youth shelter. It has a socks, caught soccer and Trump mural. Our dictators put murals up. Steve Schmidt. Please read this entire thread. This is terrible, shameful. The Trump mural is outrageous. Who authorized it? Joy Reid. This is a must read and incredible disturbing. Joe B. Pollock. Here are some of the other presidents of the Brownsville Center, which media forgot to mention. Obama, JFK, Lincoln. In conservative media, all sorts of articles. Obama immigration agency separated children from the family, too. All the way back to 2008. 2008. I, I don't even know how to... I just can't. So here's another mother load of fucking lies from the media. I know it's long. It's a lot of sound bites. 
This is just the tip of the iceberg. I could do 45 hours of them fucking lying. I'll just do about 20 minutes and we'll go into guns. How is the border? I'll say, Alex, you know, we arrived yesterday afternoon. We went straight to the facility, the location where kids and their parents were reunited. And all I can say after talking to the people, watching the people, listening to the people, that the Statue of Liberty, I think, is weeping right now. It's unbelievable, the stories that we heard. People say that this zero-tolerance policy actually means zero humanity. What do you say to that? I've heard some describe this, and the, the, the rhetoric is very heated right now. The conversation is very heated. And I've heard some people describe this as a form of child abuse. Do you see it that way? It is a form of child abuse. Yet this morning, the voices of dissent not wavering outside these walls or on social media. Senior John Legend responding to a Father's Day tweet by House Speaker Paul Ryan writing, Reunite the families at the border and we can talk about Father's Day. This morning, thousands remain in custody, including the most innocent, the children, caught in the middle of an adult fight. And this morning, immigration officials are arguing that any of the, the temporary family separations that have happened are no different than when an American citizen is accused of a crime and is going through the judicial process. Robin. Well, Marcus, as you know, being inside that center, we've heard about all the different rules, such as the, the detainees cannot be held or touched. We're talking about children. Even if they're crying, they can't be held or touched, which is very hard for people to hear. And we're hearing from the Department of Homeland Security Secretary uh, is responding and giving the administration's response this morning, Marcus. Yeah, that's right, Robin. She sent out a tweet. Secretary uh, Kirsten Nielsen sent out a tweet saying, quote, uh, we do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. Santana, even though you weren't prosecuted, separated from your child for five days inside that detention center, can you tell us what that was like and how you felt? ¿Cómo te sentiste cuando te separaron de tu hijo? No, se me, me sentí triste. I felt so sad. Sí. And I was just destroyed. Sí. Tani, can you tell us of, of this place where you were placed at, away from your dad? ¿Cómo era ese sitio donde te tenía? Era, era, era de malla alrededor. There was a wire, and, and what else? Where were you sleeping? ¿Dónde dormías? En el, en el suelo, en una concha. I was sleeping on the floor, on a blanket. Gracias, Tani. Santana, if you would have known that there was a possibility that you could have been separated from your child for five days like you were and possibly longer if you had been prosecuted, would you have crossed to the United States? Si hubiese sabido que te lo podían quitar, hubieses cruzado? No, creo que no, supuestamente no hubiera cruzado. I would have not crossed. It was God who helped us. Gracias por hablar con nosotros. Thank you for talking with us. And Alex, ultimately, that is the message that the Trump administration wants to send these folks, that if you come here and you cross illegally, there is a very high probability that you will be separated from your family. And yesterday, the shelter was packed with over a 100 migrants, just like the Contreras family, telling me the same stories of separation within detention for several days and the fear that it might happen for longer periods of time now with this policy. You Alex, know, Mariana, I want to ask if, if Santana and his son ever worried that they might not see each other again. Santana. Did you ever worry? ¿Te preocupaste que no ibas a volver a ver a tu hijo? Sí, me preocupé. Sí. Yes, I worried. Sí. ¿Qué sentiste? O sea, que era 
¿Qué era como qué? ¿Qué sentiste? ¿Qué did you feel? Sí, por la separación, dije yo. Porque me dijeron que. I was told. Sí, unos seis meses, por lo that menos. That maybe it could be six months before I saw sí, him. Sí, me iban a, a deportar a mí, él lo iban a dejar. And that he was going to. All right, guns, Robbie Starbucks. Why isn't a mass shooting with 20 shot the night before Father's Day trending nationally? An AR-15 wasn't used. It was in a state with some of the strictest gun laws, and it was likely caused by a gang beef. All narrative killers, so they won't run with it. Philadelphia. I, they don't even, I have multiple articles. You can get them local. Nobody fucking talked about that. Then they didn't talk about this. Three people shot in a grocery store parking lot. Police say those shot appeared to have been planning to rob or carjack a couple, but one of the would-be victims also had a gun. Never did that. Here's another one. Brian went to aid a shooting victim in Walmart parking lot in Tumwater. Says armed pastor is firearms expert, killed gunman, called him a hero for acting, for acting and is convinced lives were saved as a result. Stephen Miller. Can't be true. I'm told such things never happen. This will no doubt be added to gun control's group list of mass shootings though. And he's right. Somebody said something funny. Perp. Give me your fucking car. Owner. Okay, hold my gun. Start with the bullets. <laughs> Buddy Todd in Oregon, he sent me one of a guy walking down the street, sees a guy in his SUV, walks up to it, tries to get the door open. The motherfucker shoots him. He doesn't stop. He goes back for seconds. That dude puts him in the fucking ground. Picked the wrong car. Then there's this, New Jersey to gun owners. Hand over those magazines or we'll throw you in jail. They just saw a law. It's all about magazines. They're literally going to jail people. Going to jail them. Once again, intellectual honesty. The media lies. They don't even put out all these heroes with a gun. All of them. And they want to disarm you so they can fucking control you. That's all it's about. Me Too Madness. Our next subject. You won't believe what Netflix crew members are banned from doing. This is what happens when House of Card goes off your network. While the Me Too movement has indeed helped to empower victims of sexual harassment and assault, particularly within the cesspool that is Hollywood, the movement excesses have also enabled troublesome repercussions, some of which are downright hysterical. Massive streaming service Netflix seems to be indulging in said Me Too hysteria. Leaked rules from the company apparently ban crew members on hit shows like Black Mirror from looking at one another for longer than five seconds. Seriously. Employees should never look at anyone for longer than five seconds. The rule reportedly states there are also bans on lingering hugs, touching for lengthy periods of time, and asking colleagues for their phone numbers. That'll fix it. You fucking morons. So let's go out to a music break. Today, I don't even know what I picked. I think I picked uh, Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode is our artist of the day. On the other side, we'll get into Tweets of the Day.
Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Tweets of the day. Outraged residents fill business lawns with hundreds of flags on Flag Day after town told owner to remove excessive displays. We covered a couple podcasts ago. The community said, go fuck yourself. And they put flags all over that shit. More than he had in the beginning. But our tweet of the day. I like this lady. Damn, I, I like this lady. My wife doesn't like that I like this lady, but I like this lady. Leslie Joan wants the show to focus less on politics and more on what's funny. That show being SNL. In an interview published on Wednesday, The Rap spoke with Leslie Jones about the next season of Saturday Night Live, which he said should be less focused on politics and more focused on what's funny. Comedy is a release just like art and music. All that is the same thing. You need that release. It can always be, can't always be serious. You need the three stooges just as much as you need John Oliver. To be clear, Jones still insisted the political commentary is a necessary thing. There was so much stuff that was happening. There was no way that our show with responsibility that we have would not cover that stuff. It was just too important. But I do hope that next year will be a lot more funny, funny-based stuff, more comedy-based stuff instead of a lot of political stuff. And Leslie Jones, if you were, more people would watch. That's why you're our Tweet of the Day. Delighted. Um, you're up for re-election, as you're saying, in 2018. Um, do you believe that the Democratic Party is going to win control of either House of Congress in the midterms? Um, and how do you make that assessment? So, look, I, you probably need a pundit for this one. I really, really want us to do that. I'm going to work really, really hard to help make that happen, and I run every day filled with terror that it won't because if Donald Trump it remains in control of the House and the Senate and the Republicans won't stop him, I don't know what happens in the next two years. But I think the Democrats have got a really terrific chance. The Christians who still support Trump, who is separating mothers from babies, are now condoning a form of child abuse. And beyond that, as a Christian, I can just say I can't think of anything that would be more Jesus-hating. This isn't just Jesus disobeying. This is Jesus-hating. Everything the gospel stands for is contradicted, but there is hope. There are white Republican voters who identify as evangelicals coming forward. For instance, a new group, VoteCommonGood.com, has recently formed to start a bus tour that is going to go coast-to-coast 
with evangelical, progressive, former evangelical, and other religious people on board appealing to that sliver of evangelical voters who look at this and are sickened as any American who loves this country would be. So there are going to be repercussions for the Republican Party that have gone along like pimps of evil with this president. They are now defending, as Sarah Huckabee does, the undefensible, the indefensible, um, that are going to take religious leaders, white evangelical leaders, because we're the problem. White evangelical voters have become the problem. We put this man in power, and it is up to white evangelicals to do what Franklin Graham did and step up and do more than Franklin Graham did and said, this is not only disgusting and unbiblical, it is evil. And we can no longer support this president even if we supported him before. This is a line of demarcation. It is the end. And part of it is this is a reaction to eight years of a black man being in the White House. Part of this support for Trump is just straight out reaction to that racism. And they brought with them a lot of evangelicals who were never cured of their racism. Jerry Falwell had been a segregationist before he became uh, an anti-feminist, uh, anti-pro-choice, anti-abortion activist, anti-gay activist. There's always a search for the next enemy that's going to help the white evangelical racist church raise money, get their fire up their people and make them angry, and now help them vote Republican. This guy only won because of 86,000 votes yeah. that could have kept him out of the White House. We only need to appeal to the conscience of a few people and yeah. just say, listen, are you trying to follow Jesus? And if you are, you have to repent of what you've done. So this week, if conservatives weren't Nazis, Christians were pieces of shit. That was Schaefer, Jesus-hating white Christians as pimps of evil for Trump. Yeah. Patton Oswalt was also on that kick. Dear People Citing the Bible. It's a cool book with some wonderful passages, but it's also a ghost sex and giants and super babies and demons. It's why we don't make laws based on the Game of Thrones, My Little Pony, or Legends of Zelda. Joe Walsh sums up my feelings. You think after this embarrassing loss in 2016, Democrats would change their strategy. But no, they haven't. They keep on mocking Americans from flyover states who cling to their guns and their religions. Keep on mocking Christians and see what happens in 2020. Mm-hmm. Then there was a lot of hate of Ryan. John Legend curses out Paul Ryan for posting Father's Day video amidst border separations. Seriously, fuck you, is what he says. The tweet specifically, seriously, fuck you. Reunite the families at the border. We could talk about Father's Day. This isn't the first time a figure aligned with Trump's administration has faced fierce criticism for posting a photo. We had a month of Samantha, Ivanka Trump and the Samantha Bee and all the other ones. But this once again proves my theory that these people don't research anything. Faux outrage, lose your goddamn mind, this goddamn border thing. They don't care. You can tell them all over. Clinton passed it. It's actually a congressional, it's a law, man. It's a policy. Obama did it. Oh, we don't give a fuck, Trump. Ah! Then there was some blue-on-blue hate. Samuel L. Jackson made a pretty tasteless and unfunny gay joke. He sent it to all the conservatives in, in Congress. After Dick Mintz. There's a little gay bashing after that. People didn't like it, but it didn't become front page news. You didn't hear about that on the NBC Nightly News, how Samuel Jackson was homophobic. Didn't happen. Jim Carrey draws cartoon character urinating on Trump's gay grave. 
Oh, how I yearn for this all to be over. Yeah, he's pissing on a grave. That motherfucker's a piece of shit. The foo, political bunny, I'm a mommy who would never put myself or my children in a position to be separated from me by entering a country with them illegally. Your tweet makes it sound like ICE is charging into Mexico and stealing children. Stop it. And that was because of what he was doing over this policy. And she's right. But a positive hate tweet comes from SE Cup, who did a picture with her kid. Give her credit. She was there for Ivanka. I'm lucky. I got to hold this nugget in my arms. I still get to. Imagine you're a mommy who can't because of this awful Trump policy at the border that rips children away from their families. This must stop. S.E. Cup got religion after the thread was attacked by conservatives who outright said, you're lying. This isn't Trump's policy. This is Congress's policy. And as a woman that pretends to be a conservative, you might want to give up on all that damn pressure you get on CNN. I know it's got to be hard to go to work with all them wahoos, but goddamn, read a fucking book or something. Get a clue. Let's go to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy! Well, Brian, this brings us to your outburst at Thursday's briefing. I don't know if you'd call it an outburst, but I would. Here's part of what happened there. (laughs) Come on, Sarah, you're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? They have less than you do. Sarah, come on, seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you get a lot of turn. Do you regret losing your cool, Brian? Um, I have an apology to make. I apologize to every human being who's had to suffer, who have less, who has less than I do, and I did not come to the table sooner. I'm sorry to those people for waiting so long and holding my temper. I am sorry that I am, I am extremely angry with this uh, administration that has lied to me, continues to lie to me. I'm sorry as a reporter that for so long I thought that the idea was to, I for, I was, struggling so hard to do my job, I forgot that my job is to comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable, and ask questions for those who have no voice. I respect what you're saying. I respect what you're saying. But you came across as a caricature uh, for many of the people that are watching who feel journalists are trying to make it all about themselves, trying to get on uh, TV more often, trying to get more attention. That's the pushback from the administration, of course. And as I said to Sarah, it's not about You don't think that's legitimate at all? No, I don't. I think that it's not legitimate. It, at some point in time, we've been playing by the old rules for so long that we forgot where we are with this administration. For, for, for fact, it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders who brought her family into that press room. She has beat us over the head with us. Mm-hmm. We have been berated. We've been lied to. We've been called the enemy of the people. We've been insulted. We have been told that we have less credibility than the President of the United States. We've been lectured at. That 
office used to be an office of information. It is now an office of disinformation. It is an office of propaganda, and I think we should push back harder. I have heard from numerous people. I think the vast majority of Americans are as inflamed by this issue as any other that has come down the pike, and it is a basic question of humanity. It must be addressed. And well, as if you know, I you address became... it... Yeah, well, let's look at what some of the reactions were. This uh, was, of course, the reactions on Fox News. They were not fans of your behavior. I... These people don't belong there. They're jokes. They start to need the ripping press passes away. If you're going to act like a wild animal... Right. And, and so, you, you don't belong there. Sarah Sanders is not a babysitter, okay? This is not a preschool, and yet we have these individuals acting like toddlers. They should be thrown out. I was waiting for him to throw a shoe, but uh, <laughs> judging, from his, judging from his apparel, I don't think he wears them. Uh, he's the press club hobo. Throw him the heck out. Uh, get him out of there. There's no reason to put up with that nonsense. Brian, your reaction? I do wear shoes, even though I am from Kentucky. Look, honestly, I've been called worse by people from people who love me. Uh, I have pretty thick hide about that sort of thing. Uh, I'm there for a reason. I'm there to ask questions and to seek answers. And look, is, Brian, yeah. that was a very simple and actually softball question. Do you have any empathy for right, what these people are going through? Right, you could have just said, yes, through? I do. My All heart goes out that, to them. But she was reacting to you interrupting her. I think that's why she refused to answer your question. Well, I think she refuses to answer any questions she feels uncomfortable with. There have been many people who have interrupted her in that press room, including Jim Acosta, April Ryan, Jonathan Carl. Those questions she doesn't like to answer because they put her in a position of having to answer honestly, and that's something that this administration is not prepared to do. And I will remind well, let's, you on let's that go to the day, broader. Let me just go to the broader point that those Fox hosts were talking about, because the reason it concerned me was to talk about revoking credentials, pulling well, credentials, everybody. denying access. Doug High used to be the communications director for the Republican National Committee. Was there talk about that in the past, or is this a new phenomenon to say, ah, kick him out of the White House? I will, I will remind you, Brian, that but, when, Sorry, Doug, uh, let, me, let me get Doug in there. Okay. Well, I, I would say it, it's, it's a bit of both. You know, what, what we used to do at the RNC and even yeah. when I worked in the majority leader's office, we'd put people from time to time, if they were reporting really awful, misleading stories, we'd put them on what I would call the disabled list. Somebody would be on the disabled list for a week or thir 30 days if it was really egregious. But that didn't mean that they would lose their access to the Capitol. It didn't mean that they wouldn't be able to ask questions. It means that some of their access would be limited to us. Um, or to us, we, we, we wouldn't necessarily respond to them as quickly as we might to others. But at the same time, we had our jobs to do, which was to get information out to all of these journalists so that we could tell our side of the story. And when you're right. shutting down, when you're shutting down access, you're also, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face because you're not telling your story because it's not about the journalists. It's always about their right. audience. You know, when I've gone on other networks and talked to other hosts, friends of mine who are conservatives say, well, why would you talk to Rachel Maddow? And I would always tell them, it's not about Rachel, it's about her audience. And we always forget that. It's not what you say. It's what people hear. We're really That's that Wahoo reporter from last podcast who is now caught around like the second coming of Christ because he screamed at Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I put it up front because I'm not going to touch it again. But it goes without saying. That would never be acceptable conduct for a female with a D behind her name. That would not be acceptable conduct if it was Obama administration. You would lose your press credentials. The media would do whole panels on CNN about how horrible that person is. Faux news, yada, yada. New York Times, divisive Republican spells GOP doom, but Democrats, abusers, speak of redemption. 
When do controversial candidates risk hurting the party as a whole? Only when they're Republican. That's a takeaway from New York Times Thursday coverage of primary races from the House and Senate. Reporter Michael Tackett and Trip Gabriel's Republican Big Day may become problem for GOP in Virginia. Focused on a divisive far-right Republican candidate, Corey Stewart, who took the Republican nomination for Senate in Virginia. The real worry for national Republicans and the hope for Democrats is that Mr. Stewart's nomination may cost some incumbent Republicans in Virginia their seats in Congress. Virginia Democrats quickly moved to join Mr. Stewart at the hip to other Republicans in competitive House races. New York Times helped them. There is no place to hide. You are either running with Corey Stewart or you condone his vile politics or you don't, says Susan Swecker, the state Democratic chairwoman. The Times quickly located potential Republican victims. Mr. Stewart could especially hurt Representative Barbara Comstock, a Republican defending the seat in the fluent north of Virginia that is emblematic of how the state has been shifted from its once-fixed Republican moorings by an influx of immigrants and college-educated professionals. Hillary Clinton won Mrs. Comstock's district. Blah, 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 break it down, yada, yada, yada. The center of gravity of the Republican Party and the state has shifted from the country club to the country, as one Republican strategist said. Later on in the article, they do the same thing for a Democrat, but he's a redemption story, and how great it is to see him get back in the system. I just surmised the article because it's very long. Not surprised. But I am surprised about this, as promised. 50 media mistakes in the Trump era. And we're only a year and a half in. August 2016 November, the New York Times or New York Post published modeling photos of Trump's wife, Melania, and reported they were taken in 95. Various news outlets relied on that date and implied that Melania, an immigrant, had violated her visa status. It was totally wrong. Only Politico corrected it. October 1st, New York Times and other media widely suggest or implied that Trump had not paid income taxes. Lie. October 18th, 2016. Washington Post piece not labeled opinion or analysis. Stuart Rothenberg reported that Trump's path to Electoral College victory was non-existent. November 4th, 2016. USA Today misstated Melania's Trump arrival date for Slovenia. November 9th, 2016. Early on election night, the Detroit Free Press called the state of Michigan for Hillary. January 20th, 2017, CNN claimed Nancy Sinatra was not happy at her father's song being used. That's not true. January 20th, 2017, Zeke Miller of Time reported that President Trump had removed the bust of Martin Luther King. That's not true. January 26, 2017, Josh Rogan, the Washington Post, reported the State Department's entire senior administrative staff had resigned. That's not true. January 28th. John Harwood reported the Justice Department had no input on Trump's immigration executive order. That's not true. January 31st, Jeff Zellini from CNN reported the White House set up Twitter accounts for two judges to try to keep Trump's election from Supreme Court. Lie. 11 February, uh, number 11, February 2nd, TMZ reported Trump changed the name of Black History Month. February 2nd, the AP reported Trump had threatened the president of Mexico. February 4th, Josh Rogan of Washington Post reported inside the White House cabinet battle of Trump's immigration order, only to have the article updated repeatedly to note that one of the reported meetings had not actually even occurred. February 14th, New York Times' Michael S. Schmidt, Mark Mazzitti, and Matt Apuzo reported about supposed contacts between Trump staff and senior Russian intelligence officials. 
February 22nd, ProPublica, Raymond Bonner reports CIA official Gina Haspel, Trump's later pick for CIA director, was in charge of secret CIA prison. That's a lie. April 5th, 2017, an article byline by the New York Times graphic editor Karen Yorshi and Troy Riggs referred to Trump's daughter Ivanka as Trump's wife. I remember that one. May 10th, multiple outlets including Politico, Times, Washington Post, CNN, AP, Reuter, and Wall Street Journal poured the same link information that Trump fired FBI Director James Comey shortly after Comey requested additional resources to investigate the Russian investigation. That's a lie. June 4, 4, 2017, NBC News reported in a tweet that Russian President Vladimir Putin told TV host Megyn Kelly that he had compromising information about Trump. June 6, 2017, Gloria Borger, Eric Lethball, Jake Tapper, and Brian Rokas at CNN, and ABC's Justin Fischel and Jonathan Call, Carl reported that Comey was going to refute Donald Trump's claim that Comey told Trump three times he was not under investigation. Remember that one? June 7, 2017, in a fact check story, AP reported erroneously that Trump misread the potential cost to a family with insurance under the Affordable Care Act. June 8th, the New York Times' Jonathan Weissman reported that Comey testified Trump Attorney General Jeff Sessions told Comey not to call the Russian probe an investigation. That was wrong. June 22nd, CNN Thomas Frank reported that Congress was investigating a Russian inve- investment fund with ties to Trump official. The report was later retracted. Frank and two other CNN employees resigned. December 2nd, 2017, Brian Ross, foo-foo. Remember that one? 24th. July 6, 2017, Newsweek Chris Ricotta and other report that Poland First Lady refused to shake Trump's hand. July 6, 2017, Maggie Haberman, CNN, and numerous outlets had long reported as in fact that Hillary Clinton claimed that a total of 17 American intelligence agencies concluded that Russia orchestrated the election. Only three or four agencies, not 17, had officially done so. That one has still never been retracted. Nobody has retracted that. August 31st, NBC News' Ken Dillian and Carol Lee reported that Trump official notes about a meeting with a Russian lawyer include the word donation. That's a lie. September 5th, CNN Chris Saliza and other news outlets declared Trump lied when he stated that Trump Tower had been wiretapped. That proves to be true. September 7th, 2017, the New York Times' Maggie Haberman reported Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi called Trump about an immigration issue. Trump actually made the call to Pelosi. November 6, 2017, CNN's Daniel Shane edited excerpts from a Trump event to make it seem as though Trump didn't realize Japan builds car in the U.S. and also the stupid fish. November 6, 2017, CNN edited a video that made it appear although Trump had patiently dumped a box of fish. Well, I guess they doubled that one. 31st, November 29th, Newsweek Chris Riota claim Ivanka Trump plagiarized one of her own speeches. December 4th, New York Times' Michael S. Schmidt and Sharon Lafreniere and other outlets reported that Trump Deputy National Security Advisor K.T. McFarland supposedly contradicted herself or lied about another official contact with Russia. I remember that one. December, December 4th, ABC News' Trish Turner and Jake Date reported that former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort had recently worked with a Russian intelligence-connected official. December 5th, Bloomberg Stephen Ahrens and the Wall Street Journal Jenny Strasberg reported the blockbuster that special counsel Robert Mueller had subpoenaed Trump's bank record. 
They've done that about like 85 times. December 8th, CNN, Manji, Raju, and Jeremy Herb reported that Donald Trump Jr. contact conspired with WikiLeaks. January 3rd, 2018, Talking Points Memo, Sam Thielman reported that a Russian social media company provided documents to the Senate about the communication with Trump officials. January 12th, Mediaites, Lawrence Bonk, CNN, Sophie Tatum, and Guardian, BBC, U.S. News and World Reports, Reuters, BuzzFeed, Alfano Flores, reported a bombshell that Trump had backed down from his famous demand for a wall. January 15, 2018, AP's Lori Kelman and Jonathan Drew reported that a new report showed trust in the media had fallen during the Trump presidency, but the report that the AP cited was actually over a year old, and it was under Obama. February 2nd, 2018, AP, Eric Tucker, Mary Claire Jonalek, and Chad Day reported the ex-British spy Christopher Steele's opposition research against Trump was initially funded by conservatives. March 8th, 2018, the New York Times' Jan Rosen reported on a hypothetical family whose tax bill would rise nearly 4000 on the Trump tax plan. It actually went down. March 13th, 2018, New York Times' Adam Goldman and NBC's Noreen O'Donnell and AP's Deb Reichman reported that the Trump pick for CIA director Gina Haspel had waterboarded motherfuckers. Number 42, AP Michael Bezirk, Jake Pearson, and Jeff Horowitz reported that a Trump advisory board official had been a Miss America contest and killed a black rhino. That was March 15th. April 1st, 2018, AP's Nicholas Riccardi reported that Trump administration had ended a program to admit foreign entrepreneurs. That was a lie. April 1st, 2018, AP's Nick, oh, okay, I just repeated myself. Sorry, this is really long. April 30th, 2018, a report, AP reported that the NRA had banned guns during the Trump defense speeches at the NRA annual meeting. AP leader corrected the information because the ban had been put in place by the Secret Fucking Service. May 3rd, NBC's Tom Winter reported that the government had wiretapped Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohn. NBC later corrected the story after three senior U.S. officials said it was bullshitty-da. May 7th, CNBC David Kevin Bruniger reported that Trump's personal lawyer, Cohn, had paid $1 million in fines related to unauthorized cars and taxis and all that shit. It was all bullshit. 47, May 16, 2018, New York Times, Julie Heisenfeld Davis, APs, CNN, Oliver Dorsey, and others ex- exerted a Trump comment as if he referred to immigrants or illegal immigrants generally as animals. That was the MS-13 quote. May 28th, New York Times Magazine Editor-in-Chief Jake Silverstein and CNN's Hottest Gold shared a story with photos of immigrant children in cages. It was under Obama. May 29th, the New York Times, Julie Davis reported that estimated size of a Trump rally to be 1,000, it was 5,000. And last but not least, June 1st, in a story about Trump's tariffs, AP reported the dollar value of Virginia's farm and forestry exports to Canada and Mexico was 800. It's 800 million. Why do I read that all? They just don't give a fuck, as shown by our Bias 101 today, Chuck Todd, listen to these sound bites and tell me this is a journalist. You have to be a sort of taxonomist of, of uh, falsehoods. I mean, traditionally, the president's stock in trade has been to traffic in a substance that uh, is identical to, to my initials. 
Um, and that's this is a, a world between. Your name again is Brett Stevens. <laughs> right. Okay, I just want to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a world, sort of a, a, the great world between clear truths and and unmistakable uh, lies. And there's always a question also about the president's state of mind because he says stuff and then often doesn't seem to remember what he had said the day, the hour, uh, the uh, the minute before. That's a fair point. It's funny you say this about. The, the, his mental capacity. Andrew Sullivan went there. This is what he wrote, um, Helene. If someone behaved like this in my actual life, if someone kept insisting that the sea was red and the sky green, I'd assume they were a few sandwiches short of a picnic. It's vital for us to remember this every day. Almost no one else in public life is so openly living in his own disturbed world. What do you want me to do? <laughs> um, After watching what you just played, uh, played out here, you only reach one of two conclusions. It, does he have you know, mental capability issues, or or is he chronically doing this? And if he's doing it chronically, is it purposeful, or you know, just just a matter of habit or addiction? But there's also uh, the, and, I, and I, so it does feel like point. he's selling a timeshare all the time. Here's a, what a great point. You know, Barack Obama got the quote lie of the year when he says, "If you if you like your health care plan, you get to keep it." I think that was back in 2012 or 2013 or whatever it was. But you're right; he didn't serially do it. So here he's punished for one in a way. Uniquely, Brad. Sure. I mean, the, the lies. The, the lies sort of disappear in their own uh, ubiquity. But it, it's important for it's us. It's right out of the Putin playbook, by the right. way. Said this. It's becoming a cultish thing, isn't it? It's not a good place for any party to end up with a cult-like situation as it relates to a president that happens to be purportedly of the same party. Would you use that word? I, I wouldn't go so far as cult, but I would just say that. From an electoral sense, people are running for cover because they don't want to be on the, the losing side of a, a presidential tweet. Right. And from, a, from a, a popular standpoint, it's almost a Faustian bargain. I'll pander to you if you pander to me. Yeah. And, and, and that exchange is very dangerous, really, with regard to, the, again, what the founding fathers set up, which is a system designed to garner debate and dissent. The idea that you can't speak out and, and, and say, I disagree with you here, but I agree with you on 90% of the stuff, right. is, again, a, a twilight world that I've never seen. What about this issue that literally the president can just say whatever he wants, fact-free, mischaracterize a, a, the, the Friday morning spectacle um, was, was something to behold? You, like I said, you have said you've been troubled by his issues with the truth. You've been troubled by some of the things he's done with law enforcement. Um, but speaking out cost you your, your political career. Jeff Flake cost his political career. These are two people. You guys are very like-minded, libertarian-leaning conservatives. What does that say? That's a larger commentary on society and where we are. But because we've gone from George Washington, I can't tell a lie about cutting down the apple tree, to they become so replete that nobody even questions them anymore. And, th and that's, again, a dangerous spot to be in a reason-based republic. Did you hear that? He backed it up with this. T today's POTUS performance was breathtaking in the sheer number of approvable falsehoods, intentional mischaracterizations, and outright lies lettered. Clearly, someone feels emboldened. Will GOP leaders continue to shrug this off, bury their heads in the sand? Charlie Ballpark. Going to say you always gave an emboldened pass to others. Why get so self-righteous? Derek Hunter, this is what journalism has become. Rank punditry and activism with DNC talking points. Vicious cipher. There wasn't a smidgen of any of that. How did he back it up when the entire world, other than liberals, said, what the fuck? 
So sad to see many intellectually dishonest folks who think pointing out incorrect facts and blatant misconceptions is evidence of bias. Amazing the disease that has stricken so many. I only have to read one reply to that. It's a picture of the entire CNN cast, MSNBC cast, with hands up, don't shoot signs. Do we remember when our media did that? It was a lie. And then the second soundbite. Have you fucking ever heard any Democrat ever asked, is your party a cult? Have you ever heard that? I've never heard anybody ever have the gall to say that. And yes, Trump stretches the truth. Tell me a fucking president who hasn't. You can keep your doctor. Your health care rates are going to go down. I didn't know about her server until you told me in the paper. I didn't know about this until I read it in the news. I didn't hear this until I read it in the news. Eight fucking years of a president standing there with the every fucking tool in the world in his hands. He doesn't even know what time it is. The media told me. The next president, oh, he's bashed because he watches the media. Hmm. It's utter bias. And it makes the 50 fuck-ups. That's just 50. There's so many more. As a concerted effort to promote the Democratic National Committee. I actually taped MTP this week. I didn't watch it. I was going to give it a go. I thought for a second, maybe he'd talk about the IG report and not be a fucking hacktivist. But he didn't. It was a byline. It was more about the GOP is a bunch of fucking liars. They're a cult. They walk in lockstep. Is the whole NBC, MSDNC, CNN fucking party line right now. They're hacktivists. They just walk in lockstep. Isn't that what parties do? Isn't that what the Democrats did for fucking the eight years of a Bush? Unfucking believable. Let's go to stats of the day. Breaking SPL Center admits it was wrong. Apologizes to Quilliam Arg Org, excuse me, and Majid Nawaz for its field guide to anti-Muslim extremists and agrees to pay 3.375 million settlement. Quilliam quilliaminternational.com join our civil society movement against extremists that was their tweet and they got sued in court and they lost and that's only because quilliam org has the money to fight them before it's all said and done the southern poverty law center will take this little podcast and put it on their list of hate groups Because hate group has nothing to do with actually doing things. Hate group has to do with, you don't agree with us. That's a hate group. A poll, NFL popularity sinks. 42% viewing the league favorably. In 2013, it was 64%. By 2016, it was 46%. Now it's down to 42%. Because all they give a fuck is about SJW bullshit. Another poll, a women's issue. Gallup polling shows women's view largely aligned with men on abortion. There's only a split of 2 to 3% on all the issues. 
And no, it's not because of the patriarchy. It's because Americans aren't into abortion after 20 weeks and don't think we should have to federally fund it. In our lighter fare at the end of this show, you'll hear the opposite, but that's that's actually the truth. New study, no systematic evidence of racism when police use deadly force. This goes in with the one we played a million fucking times. I won't play it again. But it's literally, this, we now have a study, um, Michigan State University, Arizona State University of Criminology and Criminal Justice. The Wall Street Journal in October 2016 had a study. There was a study out of Ohio State. There's study out of Texas. There's study. It's still on the same thing we talked about. White cops are less likely to shoot black suspects than white suspects. That's why you see an uptick in cops getting shot. They're so scared to lose everything by the media complex that will just fucking destroy their lives, their kids' lives, their wives' lives, so they can't be employed anywhere over a shooting incident that turns out to be a no-fault shooting. Hmm. Doesn't surprise me. Tim Wise is our last one. Precisely because I love this country, I'm hoping any nation with whom Trump starts a trade war kicks our ass in it. Our long-term survival requires the destruction of everything this man stands for and does. Liam Monster. I'm going to make a video about liberalism and the mental disorders. Thanks for the material. Incidentally, backlash against your brand of crazy is why Trump was elected in the first place. Keep doing the good job. And another person did a meme that's all over the internet of one of the little fucking women that was crying in the Javits Center. But I wanted North Korea to nuke us to make Trump look bad. That's been their attitude for 18 months, for Christ's sake. Let's go to news and social media nuggets with another song from Depeche Mode. Stop. 
Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Military corner. Only a quarter of U.S. service member deaths since 2006 have occurred at war. That's kind of sad. 
The alarming reminder for June analysis of active duty military deaths published by the Congressional Research Service, which revealed that of 15,851 active duty and mobilized reserve military personnel who died between 2006 and 2018, only 28% lost their lives during formal armed conflicts usually defined by Congress's overseas contingency. 72% of the U.S. military deaths occurred around 11,341 person, or an average of 920 annually, occurred under circumstances unrelated to war, defined in the CRS report as non-overseas contingency operations. OCO deaths declined since the peak in 2007, but non-OCO deaths remain relatively stable. A third of non-OCO deaths were determined to be accidental, although those do not explicitly mean training accidents or aviation mishaps. Some 14% of the accidental deaths were directly related to substance abuse, while another 4% were self-inflicted. That's just fucking horrible. Horrible. And there's so many people. And, of course, it goes extremely unreported. Another article, X-ray vision is no longer the stuff of comic books. They're actually an MIT devising one that can look through walls. At this point, it's just stick figures. But it can still show people through a wall. That's some fucking predator stuff, which is uber, uber freaky. To our college crazy. Muslim professor made students praise Allah before entering an office. A Muslim professor at the University of Connecticut aggravated numerous students last year by requiring them to remove their shoes and say Bismillah in the name of Allah before entering his office. UConn told Campus Reform that it immediately instructed the professor to remove the sign instructing students to say Bismillah, adding that the professor retired sometime after the December 2017 video was recorded. Felix Coe, a professor of biology, had posted signs on the door of his office directing students to remove shoes for entering, not first, then request entry by saying Bismillah. The footage in the video was originally taken in December 2017 and also contained an audio clip from an unspecified date of Coe interacting with students who saw that his door was open and was trying to ask about where another professor was. His response, get the hell out of here. I don't want to see you, Coe told the unidentified student after she asked him why she needed to remove her shoes to enter this office. I am Muslim, Coe explained the student. You don't come in my office with dirty shoes. That's a curse. The rest of the video contains footage from December of two men approaching Coe in the office. I want to know why these signs are necessary, one of the men asked Coe. Why would a student have to take their shoes off? Or what did they say to Bismala? Because I'm a Muslim. I don't want them coming in my office with dirty shoes. But this is this is your office. This is not a prayer place, the man tells Coe. We have a separate place for prayer. If a Christian put in here in Jesus' name, would this happen, the man continued. UConn promptly resolved the issue in a manner that respects the civil rights of all involved, blah, blah, blah. Regarding this instance, the sign that directed the guest to do it was taken down. Oh, and he retired. Hmm. Did not make front page news, by the way. You know if it was a Christian, you must sit here and do something about Christianity. NBC or Emmett, Chuck Todd himself would cover that. Because fuck them Christians, right, Chuck? Fuck them Christians. Cornell considering enhanced punishment for bias incidents, just like fucking hate crimes. 
crime, you murder somebody, you murdered them, but now we got to call it a hate crime murder, so I guess we add a second life. I mean, what the fuck? Cornell University will spend this summer evaluating dozens of diversity initiatives proposed by a task force convening a response to students' complaints about bias-related incidents. Among the more shocking proposals is a bias enhancement provision that would impose stronger penalties for violations of the code of conduct that administers determined were motivated by bias. A campus reform report in October could have created a presidential task force on campus climate in response to students' demands sparked by a flurry of racially charged incidents, including one in which a student caused a stir by chanting, Build a fucking wall. So now they're going to find ways to fine them, kick them off campus. It's just not good enough that they get disciplined. we got to fucking take them out. Then there's this one. Professor derides weight loss as a Western value. In a chapter from Critical Nutrition... For newly published anthology, two professors argue that mainstream nutrition science defines healthy eating through the lens of culture and politics, asserting that athletic performance, weight loss, and even longevity are merely Western values. They claim nutrition science is shaped by cultural beliefs, funding streams, lobbying advocates, and food industries. And then on the other side of this study, they say we all need to be vegan. I mean, fucking people, Jesus. Teacher, I was forced to resign because I won't pretend boys can be girls. An orchestra teacher in Indiana says his boss gave him an ultimatum. Start referring to boy as girls, to boy as girls, resign or get fired. John Klug decided to resign. He says the Brownsburg Community School District where he worked to put out a transgender policy document that required teachers and other staff to address students by their chosen names and pronouns. Klug instead decided to call students by their last names, thereby bypassing the problem. The school board on Monday approved Klug's resignation, even as he was trying to rescind it. According to a report on Fox 59 TV, Klug claims the school district forced him to resign over his transgender student policy. Says the district requirement that teachers call trans students by their preferred names rather than those given at birth goes against his religious belief. I want to be able to teach my subject with a clean conscience, said Klug. You approved my resignation without me being able to appeal my resignation. Along with Klug, about 45 other community members were signed up to voice the opinion about the situation, including a transgender student who was in Klug's orchestra class. Everybody advocating and support for Klug needs to think about what it's like to be a transgender person and what it's like to live your life knowing that there are people that would say that you are not an actual human being and actively disrespect you. But you, once again, can't do that for Christians. You know, don't don't have to think about what it's like for a Christian to go. Okay, I accept that you're gay, and I accept all this shit. We do it for Muslims. You said fucking Muslim teacher making motherfuckers take their shoes off. USC report complains of too many white male film critics. University of Southern California issued a report this week complaining that most film critics are white and male. To achieve the 30-30-20-20 ratio is envisioned. The report calls for review aggregator sites, critics societies, film schools, and movie studios to actively favor women and people of color to limit white or male-centric views. Yeah, white guys are bad. One illustration, for instance, sets a target demographic makeup 30% white male, 30% white female, 20% underrepresented male, and 20% underrepresented females. Why are they doing this? Because of this. 
Mindy Kaling blames Ocean 8's mixed reviews on white males. <laughs> Hollywood leftists now have a perfect excuse every time their movies does poorly at the box office or receives tepid to mixed reviews. Blame it on white guys. Last week, the all-female Ocean 8 debuted to mixed reviews and fairly solid opening weekend of the box office and coming number one with $41 million, with a 68% Rotten Tomatoes. So why the blah reviews? According to the critics, the all-female cast actually did a fine job replacing the all-male cast from Ocean 11 and agreed the film had its charming moments. Most were in agreement, however, that the film failed in the heist portion of the script, saying it lacked originality and cleverness. And some, the all-female cast was the least of the complaints. Despite that glaring truth, Ocean 8 cast member Mindy Bailey blames the film's failure to critics on the overabundance of white males. Speaking with Yahoo, Kaling says she agrees with Meryl Streep that Rotten Tomatoes allows too many white guys to have a goddamn opinion. Well, that damn it, there it is. That's why they don't ever do my reviews. Because I'm white. Hmm. I always post them. Never see them. Oh, left insanity section. Irish lad should be able to get abortions too. Yeah. Author's note. This is a collection of wee tales about leprechauns, banshees, and other flights of liberal fancy. Ireland probably thought cultural suicide would bring a peace, but having shuffled off this mortal coil, the Emerald Isle, sleeps of death is not going to be terribly restful. Irie has opened the hell mouth of social liberalism. Even in Irish and international progressives are celebrating the newly minted right to snuff out babies in the womb. Since 2015, the Gender Recognition Act has allowed Irish trans people to declare their gender freely, but the abortion bill currently specifies the word woman. Activists from the Transgender Equality Network Ireland, or TINI, <laughs> have expressed fears that the use of the word may prevent both trans men and non-binary people from accessing abortion. This is when I stop, and back in the day I'd play that record stop sound. Whoa. Folks, guys can't have babies. If she's having a baby but she calls herself a he, she's biologically still a she, so what the fuck over? What fantasy fucking land do you live in where all of a sudden I sprout a fucking uterus? Sweet Jesus. But it's the abortion thing. Salon writer, abortions are extremely safe for everyone. Abortions are safe for everyone, according to one salon writer, except for the unborn baby. That is according to Amanda Marcotte, who we've covered on the show, a fucking skank whore, a politics writer for Salon. Abortions are even safer than carrying an unwanted pregnancy to term. Oh, it's that old argument again. It's safer to kill the baby than for you to actually have to carry it around. What an inconvenience. On Friday, she argued that for decades, Americans have been subject to misinformation that paints abortion as some kind of dangerous and gruesome medical intervention that is born out of desperation. Not once did she address that according to pro-life movement, abortions always end the life of at least one person. She partially blames the media for the misconception, saying that TV and films show abortions as so dangerous that even thinking about it can hurt you. Sorry, I'm going to get a drink. It's hard to suck down all this shit. Because they illustrate abortion in negative light. Apparently she missed the movies like Obvious Child, which the media called an abortion romantic comedy. What the fuck is that? Not to mention plenty of other TV shows and movies that show abortion as no big deal and normal. Americans are hard-pressed to find mainstream entertainment that illustrate the reality of abortion. 
especially when Hollywood wants more positive abortion scenes. Instead, she signed in one movie, Revolutionary Road, where the woman dies after giving herself an abortion. Well, I do believe that's probably dangerous. Oh, I'm sorry. She also argues against what she deems as unnecessary abortion restrictions. Restrictions that, when acted, could greatly reduce the number of women going through with an abortion while making it safer. The restrictions she talked about were waiting periods, mandatory ultrasounds, and age restrictions. She blamed restrictions like these for deliberately exaggerating the medical risks of abortion. In the whole Women's Health Supreme Court case, she also stated that these are limiting women's access to abortion and other reproductive care. According to NARAL, forcing ultrasounds on women is forcing a patient to undergo a med- medically unnecessary procedure and is unethical. You know what is unethical? Not giving the woman all the information to make an informed decision. But fuck that. And the age restriction and mandating parental approval can help to combat child abuse, she says. The same child abuse a Planned Parenthood reportedly ignores. She also doesn't mention in the article the psychological effect an abortion can have on women. Women who have abortions are more likely, likely to commit suicide than women who give birth. LifeNews.com reported on a study result in 2014. This doesn't count the times a woman checks herself into hospital right after an abortion. Are you surprised by that? I'm not, because the New York Times investigates why some working women might consider abortion. It's just in the way, that old baby thing. I just, uh, Jennifer Valentine Devise. If you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, consider it an abortion. You're old and having babies, so there's nowhere for you to go? Pregnancy discrimination is rampant in American companies. Natalie Keetro and J.B.'s Greensburg report. Yes, it holds you back from your job. So just fucking flush that baby away with a morning after pill or go in there and right when it's about to crown and kill the baby because damn it girl, you gotta get that abortion or that promotion. Yeah. Okay. To crazy shit, other crazy shit because that's pretty fucking crazy. Shit horrendous moment freak Gusta Winds sends portable toilet a hundred feet in the air as it sprays liquid. On screaming crowd. Oh my freaking god. I'm not reading anymore. That is a fucking nightmare. Next one. It's raining octopus. Sea creatures fall from the sky after being sucked from the ocean by a water spout and carried into a coastal city during powerful storm in China. I shit you fucking not. It really, really was an octopus. A person caught it, was hung in a fucking tree. Wow. Park County grandmother kills rabid bobcat with her bare hands. Story goes, she's out working on her truck, which just makes me love this lady even more. And she put a new bumper sticker, wanted to send the picture to her husband, went back in the house to get the cell phone. When she came out, her dog was barking. She sees a bobcat, takes a picture. It takes two steps and pounces on her. So she fucked that motherfucker up. But it cost her $10,000 for once, but... um she needs to go fund me. I'd fucking pay for it. That's bad fucking ass. Alabama man named Ozzy Osbourne to serve nearly 30 years in Montgomery, ba- Montgomery Barbershop shooting. He's black. Which just cracked me the fuck up. Just cracked me up. How the hell did he get the name Ozzy Osbourne? I'm assuming his parents loved some rock. 70s rock. Man finds out his ex-girlfriend faked a rejection letter and lost him $200,000 scholarship. I'm not going to go in depth. You probably heard this because it was all over the fucking place. But 
What a bitch. She just didn't want him leaving her or some shit. I don't know. But that is just uber, uber fucked up. And then there's this article that really pissed me the fuck off. Because going back to my youth, when I met this gorgeous chick at 19 and got married, I remember getting her like a quarter carat diamond ring from Zales. And we bought the wedding rings at a grocery store, for Christ's sake. I think it was a Safeway. And, you know, our hands definitely turned green. It wasn't really gold. I think it was gold-plated, kinda. Engaged couple mocked for smallest ring ever made. A newly engaged couple shared a photo of their happy moment on social media only to be trolled over the size of the ring. Jen Phonomarat and Leo Samamandud, who run the food blog and YouTube channel Just Eat Life, had been together for nearly a decade and decided to make the news public. Famonorat posted a photo of herself alongside her fiancé on Instagram showing off a delicate gold band with a small pearl to her 64,000 followers. Nine years later, I said yes to my best friend, she wrote. As an internet personality, she said she used used to haters but told Yahoo she didn't expect the outpouring of mean comments. I've always been an advocate for women supporting women, so I was shocked to see so many females wasting their time replying to each other to dampen our happy moment, she said. People commented on both the size of the ring and the fit, calling out the non-traditional piece of jewelry. Congrats, where's the ring, one person wrote. It just seems like he went into the store like, show the smallest ring ever made, one person commented. It was, I mu- it was stuck it must suck to write, wait nine years for a ring that looks like that, another wrote. My best friend would at least know my ring size, especially after nine years, someone com- com- commented. She told Yahoo she's been deleting the negative comments, but she wants everyone to know the ring was actually what she wanted. I don't usually wear any jewelry, but when I do, it's simple and minimal, she said. What mattered to me most was the tiny detail on the inside of the ring. He asked the ringmaker to describe the initials of our nicknames for each other. I swear I thought it was floating in the air when he pointed it out. My heart smiles every time I see it. She said the couple wants people to know they choose experience over material things. We encourage others to think about how they measure value in life. We made it our priority to travel around the world, eat bucket list foods, and experience dream adventures together. That's all we've ever wanted and will continue to do, ring or no ring. It once again reestablished my theory. The internet is a fucking horrible, horrible fucking place. So as we go out, I'm going to play an excerpt from a fantastic soundbite. Crowder's latest Change My Mind tackles gender binary. On Monday, the Ladder Crowder team uploaded the latest episode of Change My Mind. The topic of this installment was There Are Only Two Genders, second edition. For the first half of the video, which clocks in at approximately 51 minutes, Crowder speaks with a transgender woman named Danielle Skidmore, who is running for Austin City Council. Although no minds were changed, Crowder and Skidmore exchanged what was quiet and civil. It was a second exchange during which things become less civil. After Skidmore left, a woman named Alicia Weagle sat down with Crowder Weagle, who was born at Intersex and who works for Skidmore, challenged Crowder on his belief that there are only two genders. 
Crowder's episodes are gender uh, about gender are without question the most complex ones. The individuals representing his opposition frequently support their view with anecdotal or emotional evidence as opposed to empirical evidence. It was also interesting to see Crowder become slightly agitated while he spoke with Weagle. As with Skidmore, no minds were changed, but fascinating conversations were had. If you're interested in taking a deeper dive into this way in which transgender movement perceives reality, this is a much must walk watch. So I'm going to play a little bit of the backside, but you can get this on Ladder or Crowder. It's on YouTube. It was a good watch because I watched the whole 50 minutes. So then why should they have to choose I'm a male or a female if they were not born a male or a female? Like, yeah, that's my question. Okay, for you. so I'm going to go back to answering your question. Yeah. Um, all of this was was very imperative in answering your question because you said biological realities. People need to read a textbook, and then you mentioned how somebody expresses themselves, how they identify. There are two different issues. I'd like to address them separately if we can. But they're because not I separate. Agree, that because is my I, question. You, you well, let me answer. Going to answer I, I, my question. I am going. I am answering your question. If people are biologically so, if we take born, away, I'm just going to keep talking as though you're polite here. So if we take intersex and we take, for example, Kleinfelder's. We take, for example, intersex, we take Kleinfelders, we take genetic anomalies that are very outside of the norm. So, for example, um, there are some people, we've talked about this earlier, there are some people who are born without feet. There are some people who are born with webbed hands. There are some people who are born with 12 fingers and toes. But if what we teach in biology class is that human beings have two arms, two legs, two feet, ten fingers and toes. We don't teach biology. We don't identify biology based on certain... Uh, uh, based on, very, based on outsiders. Yeah, we don't. That's not how we teach biology. So that's not how, that's not how outsider, doctors. Then... That's not how doctors treat biology. So let me go to your. So I want to. I want to separate what we were talking about there: intersex and, and a very small percentage versus transgenderism. People okay. who choose to identify who aren't born that way. But keep, because you keep pressuring me on that, let's let's go to intersex. Let me ask you this: Were you among the statistical reality where you had some very uh, distinct primary? sex characteristics as intersex because the vast majority of people born intersex are not LGBTQAIP activists. They're people who are born with very clearly identifying traits. It's not just right in between. The vast majority have micro penis and large clitoris and internal testes and it's pretty easy to identify. So would, was that the case with you? I, yes, I was identified at birth as being intersex. Okay, but was but it, not everyone is because, as I mentioned, you know, was it the case where you were identified as a female pretty quickly? You had primary sex-defining traits uh, in that of a female. Well, I was I was assigned a female because of the choice of of the doctor that worked on me, right? But like I was born in between. So for me, like a doctor made a choice that even though I was born in between, even though they knew because of a. Um, What's that called? Amniocentesis. Mm -hmm. So they knew before I was born that I had XY chromosomes, but because I was born with a vagina, they knew that I was intersex, but because there's a doctor, again, who plays God and makes the decision because it's all what's going to go on the birth certificate, I was assigned female at birth. Okay. So you didn't transition later on in life? No, no. No, okay. So my question again for you is just, I just, because the statistics would reflect that the overwhelming majority of people born intersex are not just born directly in between the two. There's a very clear delineation with identifying sexual characteristics with male no, and female. That's so not true. There's, there's chimerism, there's, no. It is true. But, um, so moving on from the intersex, if we remove that, I think yeah. that you are, I think that what you're saying is, is, is correct. I would certainly separate you. telling someone who is born a certain way that you know more about the science of my existence than I do. That's the, 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 I'm not, that's the, the literature point, like, is there. And if I, we want to talk about our sides agreeing or being able to have productive conversations, I think that maybe that's a first step in, in y'all's camp, is like not assuming that you know better than everyone else who lived a certain experience. I don't, just you know? like I don't interrupt. 
well, I'm sorry, you're, you're interrupting my day by questioning my existence and my boss's existence, so I'm, I'm not going to apologize for interrupting. I, I didn't question your existence. I haven't questioned your existence. And I haven't interrupted you. And I haven't said that I know more than you. Only you have done that in this conversation. So right now we're at a crossroads. We want to continue with this conversation and it to be civil and I'm to disagree. I'm being uh, televised or whatever, recorded. As I'm am I. To watching it so if we remove intersects and very small percentage of outliers, let's say it's the 1.7. I don't agree, but we'll go with that. Now we're ad addressing the transgender issue, that gender okay. is a spectrum. So yes. um, why? How many genders are there? Why do we go with that? Because that's very separate from so genetic gender, anomalies of intersex. Right. Gender is a societal construct. So, okay. as my boss mentioned, there is a spectrum. So some people identify purely female or purely male. Some people identify in between. You, you already talked about the different pronouns that are available. And it's based on your... You're something intrinsic that you were born with in your head. So we've proven, for example, that in terms of sexual orientation, that being gay is not a disorder. It's just like a biological reality. It's a human condition, right? And um, and being transgender is the same thing. It's like you're born... There's actually studies that have come out now that transgender brains more closely align with the gender of the brain that they identify with than the brain of, of how they were okay. born. Can I, can I address that? Sure. But I have a question there. So you said, so I want to make sure I'm not uh, misrepresenting your view. You said gender is a societal construct. Those are your words. It is, yeah. Okay. It is. So if gender is a societal construct, how can there be a male brain and a female brain, as you just described? Because there, there are brains that fit, like, more, if we're thinking about a spectrum, right? Like, there's brains that fall here on the spectrum, brains that fall here on the spectrum. Like, each brain biologically is different. Like, we know this because of genetic variants. And so some people identify more with traits that we categorize as female. And, and so those brains look more similar to those who... That does, I'm sorry, but what you're, you're taking a, you said it's a societal construct, and now you're making a biological argument. Is there biologically a male brain and a female brain that are different? There is biologically a brain that is closer to a binary example of how people identify people who identify as male, and 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 present that way. Their brain looks more similar, and so even if they have been born with a body that, based on what we talk about in society, or you know phenotypically like having certain like genitalia or uh, you know gonads that like that we would say are female their brain still looks more biologically similar like when doing a brain scan to okay. someone who identifies as male like there are certain I, I, I types of make, brain that exist on that spectrum can you can you see how for me that's that's uh, not a super clear answer and i want to make sure that i don't get your presupposition incorrect there are I'm, generally male brains. I do a lot of like, generally female. That, like getting people to repeat the same answer. No, it's not, none of this will be for like an outlier that you can then cut and slice into something. But none of this will be edited. I'm happy to answer another question if you like. None of this will be edited. Okay. None of it. All of this from beginning to end. If this goes up, if this interview, but we don't put up an interview that is edited. So I want to make sure that I understand your your your, your point of view here. There are what is they're generally considered a male brain biologically. And there is generally what is considered a female brain biologically. Right, by how and, we as a gender, define male and female. But they're just like well, two, no, 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 two no, no. ends the of biological a makeup of, of a brain brains. is not societal. The biological makeup of no, a brain is right, biological. No, you're right, but what I'm saying is so the brain, make, right, so what I'm saying, the brain that you call the male brain or the female brain with what you're you saying. You did, not me. I'm saying is closer to that brain that, that you are referring to as a male brain. You referred to it that way. 
So I want to make sure I'm correct that you believe there is a male brain generally and I'm a female brain yes generally. I'm not going to when I'm explaining my answer, when I'm giving you my answer. Okay. My answer is what you are referring to as a male brain is more... But I didn't. You did. That's why it's important. You brought this up, male brain and female brain. I'm trying to understand what you brought up. I didn't bring up male brain, female that brain. That brain, is what, what society is referring to as a male brain, whether that person was born, regardless of their genitalia and their physical presentation to the world, their brains are more similar in certain ways. And that is because there's a spectrum of types of brains. And so there's a brain that's like that, and then there's a brain that's slightly to the right on the spectrum, and then one that's slightly to the right of that. And and there's this whole spectrum of types of brains, just as there is a spectrum of types of skin color or facial hair, all these different things that we've talked about, right? Like, And so what we have found is there is actually a correlation between this identity and a brain that looks a certain way. So okay. people aren't making something up. It's like something that intrinsically that they are born feeling and identifying in this way. Right? Feeling and identifying in a way. Okay? Yeah. And this is important because the biology and the identification are two very different things. So I'm going to continue along the premise which you originally expressed. There is, I, I certainly agree with the biology. There is a biologically defined male brain and female brain. They're different. They operate differently. There are different developments and different portions of the brain. They fire differently. They have different levels of neurotransmitters and they respond to stimuli differently. There is a male brain and a female brain, absolutely. And there are some anomalies. There are some very, uh, very, uh, very acute there's number of outliers in between, but not much. There is a male brain and a female brain. Okay, well, the entire world exists on a spectrum, and then there are limitless genders and limitless brains. How do you determine what's right with the literature? How do you run a scientific study if you're saying there's a limitless number of brain types and a limitless number of identification types? How do you line that up as a study? If myself does not threaten your daily existence, then why do you care? It does. It does. It doesn't yeah, threaten my existence. Yeah. I believe the restructuring of Western civilization based on... I don't believe gender is fundamentally interchangeable. I don't believe men and women so are interchangeable. So only Western civilization is right, is what you're saying? Because they're, That's a different conversation, but yes. Really? Yes. So the whole white supremacist and Western perception of society is what is right? I don't believe white supremacy is right at all. Well, Western civilization is arguably founded by the colonization by white people of people of color that existed already now, Western in, civilization in Native America is not found in the West, on white the supremacy Americas. at all. So I believe Western civilization, the civilization that allows people to live freely, the civilization that freed slaves, the civilization that brought you that iPhone, technology, paved roads, plumbing, uh, the Romans did that earlier on, but it was very primitive. Yeah, I believe Western civilization is right. And a fundamental role in Western civilization is that of male and female. And I believe that that is very important as it relates to what we teach children, very important as to how we rear children, very important as to how we jail people if we're going going to define pronouns, if we're going to define gender identification, I think it's important if we're going to change the entire fabric, the makeup, to identify what it is. So with that, how many genders are there? You'll have to excuse me that I'm having trouble engaging with someone who feels that Western civilization is the right way, which is founded in these certain principles that I just mentioned, it's not, and the though. only way. And that America first mentality is actually what's causing the degradation and like our falling of, of our, our status in the world is American exceptionalism. Really? Or your exceptionalism of your viewpoint. If you really where, want to say would, change where my would, mind, uh, your, where would your mind is not open to other ways of thinking. Let's, here's one thing. If you're looking to change somebody's mind coming in very aggressive and interrupting I'm angry I'm not but that's not a good way no, to change somebody's mind I, you ask me a question and then I try to answer it and then you stop me halfway through and ask me a different question or tell me that I'm not responding to your question so forgive me if I'm frustrated yeah well I, I'm just trying to get clear Please. answers to understand your presupposition and then you, you were the one who brought up for example male brain female brain that said no brains exist in the spectrum let me let me bring this up this is no. a very new thing 
you know, the modern gender theory, it's not a the gender thing. non-binary, I would, I would where does it you, stem from? It does, I, that's not the question again. You're asking multiple No, I'm questions. asking you, because you said it's not a new thing. I'm saying it is it's a new thing. It's not a new thing. If you okay, so where does it come Greek from? Greek or Roman mythology, there's yeah. all different types of humans. If you look at Hinduism or certain religions outside of your white, I imagine you're Christian, correct? Yeah. Right. Outside of that societal and worldview, there are a lot of different texts that are very, very old that talk about all different types of people. Yeah. That talk about trans people, intersex people that used to be referred to as hermaphrodites, which is a phrase that, that we don't prefer anymore. We find it to be very triggering and offensive because of the Why? way that has been used historically. Okay, but kind it was of like the medically N-word, used, right? Kind right? of like the N-word, right? Like, there's a certain Well, not kind of like context. the N-word. Wasn't hermaphrodite a medical term? No, now the medical term is intersex because the medical community understands that certain phrases then are used to marginalize other human beings, and so people Was stop it a medical term? Them. And so people stop using them. Was it a medical term? Um, so medically, there also used to be something called phrenology, which was measuring like the heads of black people and saying that they were like um, scientifically okay. less than others. The, the so only science evolves ask, all the time. The, the You're only, asking if it was a medical term. Yeah. There also were was, medical terms medical like term. phrenology well, that you are now shown to be very racist and bigoted and outdated and sure. marginalized. The reason I bring it up. Things that kind and open-minded humans do not use. Sure. Well, that is my response to your question. Well, the I reason I bring it up is because question. you brought up uh, hermaphrodite and compared it to the N-word. Was the N-word ever a medical term? You know, I, I don't... And the reason this matters, again, is yesterday's medical term is today's hate speech. Society can't keep up. And that's why definitions matter. That's why gender matters. So that's so why biological studies matter. Up. Like, it's so hard for those people and not the people who are being marginalized. Yes. I believe wow. it's important. I believe it's important for both you know people what? to be in a society that functions. I appreciate having functions. the conversation. I really do. Thank you very much. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. I'm sorry I don't have a box of tissues. So let me give you, you. Let me give you uh, real quick. Please Simone de Beauvoir in 1949. That's where modern gender theory started. And it goes to Judith Butler in the 80s and 90s. Hey there, YouTube viewer. You like Samantha B? Of course not, because you've actually made it to this end card. You are a miracle of the internet. I would say subscribe or hit the notification button, but I don't really know what that means on YouTube. You might not get notified anyway, but you can join up at ladderwithcredit.com slash mug club. That's mug with this wonderful hand-etched mug. And you get to watch not only clips, but the full one-hour daily show every single day. That was redundant because I said daily, but every single day. But we're going to keep it anyway because we shoot these end cards a whole lot in one afternoon. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel with this one. It's really a great conversation. I think you should listen to it. Because once again, as I say all over and over and over and over, it's a religion for them. This is a religion. They don't believe in Christianity or Muslim. or They don't believe in any of that stuff. So they made their own to fill the void. Um, I, I truly believe, and I've said on the show, you got like a triangle of life. There's your spirituality, your family, your job. And when one of those are out of balance, your life's out of balance. So for a lot of these people, they were out of balance. They may have had a job, but they didn't believe in a religion, and their family sucked, or their personal relationships with other people sucked, and they didn't have a family. So they made a way to replace that. They make up families of anything they can throw together. They make up their own little religion with 95 fucking pronouns. And they fight it worse than you or I do. I believe there is a God. I believe in Jesus Christ. But I don't believe you have to believe in God or Jesus Christ. I believe in traditional marriage, a man and a woman. I don't believe you have to believe that. These people believe you must believe it. It's brainwashing down to the youngest level, as we did with the Obama transgender policy. It's even on fucking Nickelodeon. 
We should celebrate pride and be proud of ourselves. Stand up for being yourself. There's no one else like you. I'm proud of my family. My mom is out of this world. I'm proud of my moms. My parents support me in everything I do. Everyone's different and everyone's their own person. I'm proud of my style. My style is kind of tomboy. I don't like dress. My style is modern rustic chic. I'm trying to be edgy and cool, but I'm way too soft. My style is all about how I feel. I'm going to perform all over the my world. My friends can flip like me. I love to box. I make and design my own bow ties. I love being a kid. I can do anything. I'm proud of my music. I'm unique. I'm pretty funny. I'm passionate. I'm fearless. I drum all day. I'm proud of my friends. I'm proud of my strengths. I'm proud of my bow ties. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of where I'm going. I just do things a little different. You can be the wow child. I'm proud to be who I am. Whoever that's gonna be. That's how I rock. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I'm proud. Yeah, that's fucking pathetic. Pride Month? Really? Impressionable kids? I call that child abuse. So to our lighter fare, I was going to play a painter guy running for Senate. you probably already seen it, so I'm, I'm not going to play it, but it shows him doing his ad in front of a dumpster fire. With a real dumpster on fire, so go figure. To our funny stuff, because it's supposed to be lighter and I'm not making it very light... Can I breastfeed my DD to be if I'm vegan? Granny Grizzle recently turned to a full vegan diet and it suddenly dawned on me that I can't possibly be vegan to breastfeed my baby when she is going to be born in November. How did I not know, realize this? I'm ignoring all the ridiculous, this should be banned drama llamas and addressing the sensible folk here. As a mammal, it just seems weird to feed my child my milk when I wouldn't drink milk from another species. Thanks for all the helpful response. I just panicked as if I'm not usually keen on BF and often feel like I'm a caged animal. Does this mean BF wrong? Not sure if hormones are sending me bonkers. It's a fucking religion this the gay the gay stuff the lgbt the vegan and abortion tnt character on abortion we dnc'd that shit bitch actual conversation woman god is good he heard our prayers virginia we still dnc'd that bitch when Virginia was sitting on a table waiting for an abortion, she appeared to have some doubts and asked Quiet Ann the random question. What if it's like the next Obama? She can't remember the name of the Martin Luther King, so presumably we're supposed to think this girl's too stupid to have a baby and agree with her decision to abort it. Virginia, what if it's like the next Obama or like the guy that's always dreaming? Quiet Ann, Martin Luther King? Yeah. Girl, it's not. You're fine. Virginia, are you sure? Oh, yeah. Virginia, there's no Obama in there? And there was one more bizarre aspect to this part of the show. When Virginia asked co-workers Quiet Ann, who gave them a ride to the abortion clinic, what the others at the nail salon were saying about her pregnancy and the decision to abort the baby, Quiet Ann goes into a thought bubble that turns into a retro Brady Bunch type of panel. The women in the panel give their hot takes on abortion. Desna, this bitch is having an abortion. Girl, she'd be fine. I had two. I didn't think twice about it. Older lady, at least you can get one. Back in Texas, they were illegal. I had to go to that nice lady in the deli for mine. Oh, Lord, you are all going to hell. 
Polly, where's my dad going? He raped my babysitter. Thank God she could have one. Polly, you never told us that. You never asked. Look, I think women should have the right to choose, but some need to choose a condom. I shouldn't have to pay for it. You're not paying for anything. My tax dollars. That's some alt-right bullshit. Well, at least these women can have kids. It's about women's right to choose what she wants to do with their own body. Quiet Ann. Yeah, I got pregnant when I was real young, and I didn't want to have a kid. But my parents were against abortion, and they made me. And I got attached to the kid, Sophia. And one day I go home, and Sophia was sent to California to live with some church friends. I never saw her again, does the Ann. I'm so sorry. It was all quite crazy, but this show is known for odd parodies and random craziness. Season 2 looks like nothing has changed. What a hot fucking mess. It's a religion. American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecological Request. I can't read. New late-term abortion certification. Certificates. Certificates. They want Certificates. You're going to hang it on your wall. You go in your doctor's office. I have a degree in this, the gifts, and killing babies in late term. Yeah, that's fucking fantastic. Molly Hemingway addresses this great. <clears throat> Media in a post-row world. This sums up what's wrong with our media. On this subject, on June 13th of the Heritage Foundation, Americans United for Life hosted Women Speak 2018, a symposium on life without Roe. During the panel on cultural implication of overturning Roe, Molly Ziegler Hemingway, senior editor for The Federalist, addressed the issue, media in a post-Roe world. Hemingway addressed the skewed way that the media covers the pro-life versus pro-choice media stories. An example she gave of a story that should have been covered by media was the murderous Dr. Kermit Gosnell. Rather pro-choice of life, Gosnell should have been newsworthy. However, the liberal media outlet actually had to be shamed into covering Gosnell, said Hemingway. Furthermore, Hemingway pointed out that the liberal media outlets give a prominent platform to pro-choice events while giving minimal to no coverage or best bias coverage for pro-life events, such as the March for Life. that takes place every year in D.C. Being a woman is a gift that doesn't need to be conquered. It needs to be valued, said Hemingway. Additionally, Hemingway pointed out the hypocrisy of those who claim to be champions of free speech but suppress the voices of pro-lifers while giving a prominent platform for pro-death movement. I said death. She didn't. Hemingway pointed out one of the problems is how the media covers the issue of abortion. Whether pro-choice or pro-life, we're not telling the stories we need to be telling. We're not telling the stories related to women's fertility issues. While unwanted babies are being brutally murdered every day, there are countless women who hearts ache to hold their own baby. However, they know that whether it be their own tissue or the issue of their partner, the only way they will ever hold a baby of their own is through means of surrogacy or adoption. Hemingway highlighted the importance of elevating great storytellers. We need to learn to put pull out the pro-life narratives that we see in everyday concepts of culture and media. Oftentimes, we find pro-life messages in hidden places. For example, popular movies often carry pro-life messages. If only we look for them. It goes back to what I've been saying forever. You're not putting out the propaganda. Because that's what it is. Kid shows, everything is propaganda for pro-abortion, gay, all this shit. The border, dreamers. There's nothing else getting out there. And I still think conservatives are missing out on what they can do to get people truth, facts, stories, other than it's the best thing ever to go kill a fucking baby. And why do I cover this? 
Pope Francis likens abortion to Nazi eugenics. In the same speech in Spain, he also says gays can't form a family. Who covered the story? Nobody. They ignored those statements. They covered the abortion briefly. Yet every week, the Pope says something about climate change. It leads off NBC News in a snotty way. You fucking non-believers, you pieces of shit. Because that goes with their religion too. So, that's why I covered the TNT shit. It's fucking propaganda. It's like, a, you know, you have religious channels for Christianity, um, BYU as a channel, Catholic channel. Liberals don't need their religion. Every day it's on mainstream media. The religion of progressivism. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. What a terrible way to end it. Please share with your family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast.com. It's a theme. To see links for feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page and email us. There you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page. Our next podcast will be... Next Monday, and that is going to be the 25th of June, Year of Our Lord, 2018. Got this one off. I'm going to continue on staycation with the wife, which is not going to be a staycation kind of, because tomorrow we're going to go head out and do some gambling. I'm not going to say where. And uh, do some junking and gambling. And then Friday we're going to go see that opening of uh, whatever, uh, Jurassic Park 75, whatever that is. We got... <clears throat> the second showing locally. Going to hit a matinee and that'll be kind of fun. Make sure this week you take time out and spend some time with your family. Stay cool because the weather is fucking atrocious if you're in the south. It is miserably hot. And tune back in next Monday for another exciting episode of more media bias, crazy progressive causes. And I'm sure there'll be the next faux outrage about something on the border that Trump is literally taking babies and shoving them back into women and throwing them off a fucking cliff. Who the fuck knows what they're going to lie about next week. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Cause I